0: welcome to the dynasty movement podcast follow us on twitter at dynasty discord for a link to join the movement in our discord server my name is nick wilford and i'll be your host this evening you can find me on twitter at electronics underscore ff or on our discord at electronics let's hop in we are live so welcome to the dynasty movement podcast we're lucky to have chad parsons of uth dynasty and football guys on with us and i think chad if you wouldn't mind giving us a quick introduction maybe pop through all the things you do and you're working on i would greatly appreciate it
1: Absolutely. Uh so yeah, uthdynasty.com is my my baby. Um I've had a podcast now for 10 years, Running Strong, just hit episode 500 a few weeks ago for the weekly show. Uh that's transitioned to uthdynasty.com with written content, rankings, trade calculator, all of that dynasty good stuff and premium podcasts. Uh that's been a stalwart for a few years. In that time I've also been a staff writer over at Football Guys. Um we just started about 50 episodes uh now with the uh, the flagship dynasty show uh, with Jordan McNamara as the co-host, uh, that's been going really well. Um, you know, obviously with the Audible, they've had uh, just a long-standing uh, show. You know, in terms of fantasy must listen uh, there. So happy to be a part of their expansion in terms of podcasting. Uh, but been over there writing articles, doing rankings, uh, been a part of that giant uh, behemoth. You know, just in terms of uh, being a fantasy uh high-end fantasy uh resource there so i have my own thing over at uth dynasty i've got the you know little fish in a a big pond uh that is really awesome to watch their great leadership and just all the talent they've recruited football guys as well so those are my two main platforms as uh as we go forward you know that that i've been doing this for for quite some time and, and podcasting written form. All of that are, are right in my wheelhouse, and really looking forward to this uh, AMA. Uh, it's one of my first ones here, and we're going to do some audio, some video, and uh, get to a bunch of questions. So that's going to be exciting.
0: Absolutely, Chad. And you know, you were one of the uh, the first podcasts I started listening to, so absolutely honored to have you join us. Um, starting out, uh, we noticed we got a question from Peja, noticing that you were an avid tennis player. Uh, so he's got yeah. to ask, uh, he mentioned that he knows uh, two types of tennis lovers. Do you root for Federer or Nadal?
1: Um, I kind of go back and forth. I've learned to appreciate uh, Rafael Nadal a little more as I've aged, just in terms of every single match. I mean, he puts 110%, whether it's a first round of a tournament uh, or if it's the finals of a major. Um, I do have an appreciation, I would say, more um, at my at my core for Roger Federer, just because he makes the game look easy, and yet when you watch his practice sessions and, and a lot of the things that go into it, it's not like you can be a high-level pro and uh, and take shortcuts. So he, to me, I would say that Roger Federer, uh, the beauty of his game, the more all-court nature of his game is one thing. If you watch Federer play doubles, and I know these high-level guys don't really play doubles all that much, but if you there are some matches out there where they've done it and uh, you know Fed Cup and things like that. That uh, Federer is a much more accomplished and much more comfortable. Um, the two of them have actually played together in doubles before. But Federer, um, just to me, is a more all all court and all well rounded game. Uh, but again, I, I used to, I wouldn't say I was, I was probably agnostic or neutral on Nadal, and now I've grown to just be a little more appreciative of what he actually offers.
0: Oh, sure, that would be a uh, scary combo if they played as played in doubles together. I would have to imagine. But
1: oh, yeah, they won. They absolutely won (laughs) that match. The one match I saw.
0: Absolutely. So the other the other another getting to know you that we got a couple questions on um, basically asking uh, if you're related to any famous Parsons. They listed out uh, Chandler as well as Micah Parsons as well.
1: I used to get the Allen Parsons Project uh, when I was growing up. Uh, Micah Parsons, absolutely not um, anybody else. Uh, Chandler Parsons, I've gotten that a couple times. I would say most people aren't don't go that deep. Chandler Parsons, I would call him not a super well-known NBA player, but uh, but no, uh, in my recollection, no one in my lineage I would call as. "Quote unquote famous," um, for a moment in time, I was listed on my high school Wikipedia page because I was in the uh, I was in the army for twelve years uh, with one of the the specialty bands in Washington D.C. And uh, I don't know if I'm considered you know well known or whatever. I know within Dynasty or Fantasy, uh, probably you know to some degree I would qualify for that. But uh, but I would say in just general population circles, not so much. And and I don't really come from. You know, it, it, like an uncle or a, uh, a cousin or a, a grandfather or anything was, was well-known.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, how long have you been playing fantasy and what's your earliest fantasy memory?
1: Um, I was an aggregator of, you know, early computers, I would say when I was in high school. So that was like the mid-ish 90s. Um, I kind of was getting into spreadsheets and, and you know, local newspapers didn't have stats. So I was already interested in football. But at that point in time or early Internet, you know, Yahoo was one of the only places to play fantasy. And I was big into the fantasy baseball. Um, but I would say once I got to college, 98, 99 is really when I transitioned to playing fantasy football. And immediately, you know, my go-to story is there was one season, one year that I played, you know, fantasy baseball. I had my go-to one or two leagues and it got to August or September. And I literally dropped off the map in terms of my attention level towards a team that was doing really well in fantasy baseball. And it went, zoom, tractor beam right to (laughs) fantasy football. Week one, and that was when you know uh, Dante Culpepper and Randy Moss was a rookie, like right around that time frame, and didn't really know what I was doing. I had a lot of you know growing pains, but like just my attention went straight to fantasy football, and I just left my contending teams in fantasy baseball in a, in a ditch. So that was really the, ah, you know, I think that kind of says everything it needs to about which one I'm going to gravitate towards, even though for 15, 18 years, I was straight towards loving and reading the back of baseball cards. Um, but it transitioned in my late teens and twenties, especially into, into football. And it was sad. Like just today we were out uh, at lunch, they had a bunch of TVs on, you know, and, and a baseball game was on. And I, it, it just, every time I see baseball, it reminds me that, I don't know any of these guys anymore. Like <laughs> I used to know everybody uh, for every team, all the relievers. And now it's like, I, I mean, it, the players that I know are either relics or like managers or coaches or something, which is kind of how it works in, in Madden. It's like all those players transition. It's like, you wouldn't believe it, but 30 years ago, that guy was a great player. It's like, he's been a coach for 25 years.
0: I so, know even. Um, so, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm done. But, um, I I absolutely remember Those as a Vikings fan, those 98, that 98 team as well. So I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because I know that the or that you mentioned that uh, as soon as football started that you'd stop watching baseball because I know now some of my friends started a fantasy baseball league that literally the ending is the beginning of football. And I think that's actually even becoming more popular for exactly the reasons that you're mentioning. But.
1: I'd imagine it's almost like how we view week 17, where a lot of strange stuff happens. And I would imagine in fantasy baseball, you get to the end of the season, and you get a lot of call ups, right? I I, yeah. I think I remember that the rules are different. So a lot of younger players play and, you know, if you're not competitive as a as a MLB team, then you can start, you know, kind of playing almost a, a B squad or we're kind of looking ahead, almost be like a practice squad element. So I would imagine a lot of those wrinkles um, in fantasy baseball probably come up and it makes a lot of sense to kind of end, end some degree early.
0: Absolutely. So um, I think these are going to be a few, little more softball questions to start out with. They were all actually asked by um, one of our resident uh, analysts, uh, uh, Solar or Tanho from DLF. Um, But the next question that um, he was curious about is uh, I think something that you probably have quite a bit of knowledge on, but that's uh, what do you think that aspiring uh fantasy football writers or creators spend too much time doing?
1: Uh, too much. Um, I would say trying to get clicks, trying to get attention from other people. I know that may be possible, you know, like the Shark Tank type of thing of like, ah, oh, we just want to get noticed, we want to get bought out by somebody. Um, I always have the approach of like, you know, building things, it's almost like how I do my dynasty teams as well, where it's like. You know, you want to build it for the long haul. And I think, you know, how I started and how many people started, you want to build your chops, you want to build your skills and not necessarily, you know, I've seen it at either it's, you know, expert fantasy drafts or, you know, you go to conventions and it's all about hobnobbing and rubbing elbows. And it's like, oh, I just shook hands and I gave my business card to, you know, so and so, you know, and he's the the lead analyst for such and such big box site. And I would just say, you know, just start you know, and pick a niche uh, would be one thing of what interests you. You know, you see a lot of these offshoots where some people are looking at, you know, wide receivers specifically, you know, or looking at and focusing on, say, a certain format like IDP or Devi or Superflex or whatever interests you the most. Like I started out, what interested me most was team building, you know, that you go into a dynasty startup draft, and there were so many different strategies. And I would write Article after article, going through each of these teams, going through leagues of, you know, what were the best picks, the best values by position, all this stuff, because that's what interested me the most. I eventually obviously got to other facets and many different branches of what I was kind of looking at. Now I kind of do everything, but I would say, start with one thing and kind of what interests you. And that could be something very narrow But start with your sweet spot, or even if it's just your sweet spot with interest, that's going to be what makes you stick with it. And honestly, what gives you probably the most confidence because as you learn, as you research, as you grow, same thing with the medium. Are you more of a writer? Are you more of a podcaster? And there's not a right answer. You can be, well, I'm not really sure. So do both a little bit. You probably gravitate. I write plenty, but I would say over the years, hence, you know, Thousands of podcasts, you know, aggregate between all of my different platforms. I've gravitated more towards podcasting. So you'll probably find a medium that fits you a little better than the other. You'll also start somewhere with a niche that could be a format, it could be a a team, college, whatever it is. Um, But I would say start there and just start anywhere, anywhere with a platform where maybe you get some. Uh, some advice, some coaching. You know, I do that with with people at UTH from time to time. That's how all the the people that are now on UTH at, in some capacity podcasting Jordan, uh, Katie Flower, Tim Torch. You know, we all do stuff together. They started out uh, basically just just being subscribers, being listeners, and saying, you know, I want to, you know, if if I could write something or I got an idea, and that's how it started. And I would say anybody starting in that capacity of just you know, it doesn't have to be someplace where you're going to get 50,000 uh, impressions or t- 5,000 listens to your show as a place to get started. And frankly, I don't think you want that much attention when you first start anyway. Uh, you want to kind of learn and uh, develop uh, in the shadows. And and again, if you have talent, if you have desire and you strive to improve, you, you will find more opportunities keeping your eyes open, building some relationships, but mainly improving your chops um, as you go.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I I definitely remember you mentioning several times too, that um, when people have asked you in the past uh, to review things like their podcasts or other content like that, you've mentioned, you know, have you gotten in, you know, X amount of sessions? Like have you gotten even hit record enough to know what your podcast is going to look like? And I think that that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense.
1: and And I would say also for anybody, because When I first got started, I I was like fresh. I don't even know if I had started my podcast yet or if I was 10 shows in, but I I reached out to Cecil Lammy. I was a subscriber at Football Guys. And a few days later, he sent a very uh, nice and complete email with a bunch of information about tips, um, what equipment, all these types of things. And I was like, wow, you know, this is someone on ESPN radio. And I've listened to him at Football Guys for quite a while. So I would say also be open to just asking for advice. I've asked, you know, years ago, I asked Matt Waldman, you know, about uh, some, some pieces of advice. I get my, my, mentioned Cecil Lammy. So when people ask me, I am so, so giving because you've been there, you know, all of us have been there and, you know, or relatively close to wherever you, you know, collective you are right now of wanting to improve and, and, you know, eventually go somewhere potentially wherever there is. And uh, so reaching out, even if maybe some people don't respond, maybe you didn't get the right email address or whatever, you reach out on Twitter, you don't hear anything because people get so many notifications, it's hard to keep track. So, but, but just, you know, if you were to reach out to, to a bunch of different people, you'll probably get more advice and more um, responses than, than you would expect. So just know that there's tons of good people in the industry and the folks that you look up to, um, they've been where you are and, and many of them would be certainly happy to help.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so the la- to, for the last question of that section, uh, we were curious, as a trend, do you find yourself uh, more likely to react slowly to news or performance, AKA stick with your prior evaluation? Or do you react quickly and move to take advantage of a shift?
1: Uh, for dynasty, I would say I'm a little slower. Uh, in the so and so is going to be great, you know. Or I I stick with my pre-draft eval and pre-draft or, or sorry pre-year one, I guess we can call that. So you have the prospect profile, In a week we're going to have the NFL draft. Um, but once we get beyond that, the, I'm a little more sticky to that. Then like, for example, I've always been a little below on James Robinson, just as one example, right? So he comes from the ether. He has a very nice year one. I'm always going to be a little skeptical of him compared to where folks say, well, look what he did. And now we're going to forget that he was undrafted. We're going to forget he got the perfect storm of opportunity um, that and, and the most the most of the time what happens is when you are. Uh, you know, if if you are embedded with the, the prospect and you start, you know, I have, I have something called ADT, which combines draft position, you know, for the position probability. And it also looks at like a plus minus system with their metric profile. And it's invariably, you know, if someone's a 30%, you know, sort of hit rate probability. And you start monkeying around, as I call it, and you start putting in, you know, I mean, again, I have my own kind of system of valuation here. But if you were to go and just manually change that person to 50, 60%, let's say, uh, and it's amazing how many times, like within six to t- six to 12 months, you are manually bumping them back down closer to 30. So you have to be very careful. Um, In terms of, you know, and and the same thing goes for players that are 70 and you're like, oh, well, they're horrible. Let's put them at 40. Like, I don't like the situation. I don't like something that's happening right now in the very short term. You get in trouble by, uh, I would say, being a little too personalized with, you know, it means something. For example, I'm not a big Devonta Smith fan, but if he goes in the top 10 or 15 of the draft, I mean, his ADT, his probability is still going to be, you know, relatively high. And, you know, you can think he doesn't have the highest ceiling or there, there's certain things you can think you can think, but you shouldn't just be like, oh, well, if their natural probability is 65%, I'm going to make it 40%. That's how you get into trouble. Uh, what I would say. So I'm, I'm a little more sticky. I'm a little more slow to this. I would say one thing, which is with my final roster spots with players that are outside, say the consensus top 100 top 150. I'm pretty reactive. Uh, With those final roster spots, especially in season, I do a lot on the waiver wire. I make sure I have available spots that I'm not too committed uh, and don't have a a close personal relationship as a sleeper with them because I want to move. I want to shake and I want to optimize opportunities with potential injuries coming up in the week. I mean, we do a full on every single week. We do 45 minutes uh, for each conference. We go through every running back depth chart um, in depth for. Uh, opportunities for trading pickups, drops, all that kind of stuff, because it's very much uh, a week to week position in season to find um, and call all that value. So, so I will say in season and with those final roster spots, I'm definitely rapid quick in terms of pickups, like on a Friday or Saturday, getting ready for the next week, just to optimize every roster spot I can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, could you, you could almost say that the uh, speed at which you want to react is almost weighted by your evaluation of them like how valuable you think they are you know or how
1: high the stakes are too Uh, like i would say you know if you're drafting a player in the high first round of your rookie draft you know you don't want to just bury them and and say that they're a bust you know in the first eight to twelve months that you have them i mean you drafted them at that spot for for many reasons not just one hopefully (laughs) so uh so that would be one thing is your investment point I do think you know if you draft someone in the mid third round like for example you know you, you, last year you took Anthony McFarland at like 302 303 well if Pittsburgh drafts a running back this year plus they have Benny Snell I don't know I think you know if you're 25 28 man roster it might be cutting you know but between rookie draft time or week one or whatever you might be dropping Anthony McFarland and so your investment is also going to be uh leading towards maybe your your patience
0: level with certain players Absolutely. I'm up against that wall right now. Um, You kind of mentioned earlier about going in manually adjusting and how more than likely or not, you'll end up having to manually adjust them back down. That almost, was that a lesson you ended up having to learn the hard way?
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm talking from experience. This was years ago. Um, Again, I I have so many uh, feeder formula that go into the UTH values, quote unquote, drive my dynasty rankings on the site as well as the trade calculator values for all the custom formats and yeah so again it's not that everybody stays right at their number for their entire career and this is how things work but again there are things that you're looking at uh, comps you're looking at uh you know career arcs and and age and there's so many feeders that go into this but there is you know some part of how am i interpreting the data, you know, or what a player's ceiling is, you know, in the near term uh, and floor and things like that. So there are things that are personalized, but, but yeah, so I, I definitely have learned and it wasn't, it wasn't super high stakes with anybody, but, uh, but I am iterating and I am learning uh, year over year as well. And I, I would say some of those uh, bigger mistakes and some of these, you know, process learning moments and, and learning curves, I would say for myself, Are largely uh, years removed now, thankfully, Uh, but we're always learning every offseason between, you know, how are we ranking players, how are we valuing players, but also how are we valuing positions. I, I think that, you know, with Kyle Pitts and a few other instances in the last year or two, we're also having some of these historical type tests of, you know, how high or how low. For some of these formats and with two tight end, you know, as as a more common format than five years ago, Uh, there's a lot of interesting variables that I think can still be exploited to some degree.
0: Yeah, I don't remember if you said this or maybe Jordan did or someone else I was listening to, but they called this year's draft class a Rorschach test to see about how you view even the wide receiver position or other positions in general. Pretty good.
1: That's pretty good. I mean, for example, I mean, Rondell Moore is great, right? Well, well, how do you feel about him when he's five, seven? Oh, Devonta Smith. Do you think he's great? Oh man, the guy can run a route. Well, do you, do you still think all those things and think he'll be great at 166 pounds? And it's like, well, uh, I always draft best player available. Okay. You're going to draft Kyle Pitts at one Oh one, one Oh two, one Oh three. And a, and a start one, no frills tight in format. I, there's a lot of, you know, and it's like, Oh, You think uh, landing spot and and fit and uh, situation scheme are important? Well, if Mac Jones goes to the 49ers, you're going to let him drift to a quarterback four or five in the class? Like there's a lot of interesting, like you said, Rorschach test questions that that going across all the skill positions that are kind of in our faces here. And it feels like a very unique year in that capacity.
0: Do you want to take a quick moment? We actually did get a question earlier um, about which uh, red flag are you avoiding more? Devonta weighing 165 pounds or Rondale being 5'7". I already know the answer to this, but I'd love you for you to tell them about it.
1: Sure, yeah, Um. I, I have had so many snarky questions or probing sections of, of podcasts in the last three or four months on Devonta Smith. It feels like you could write a book and I just, uh, how this turns out in one, two, three years or whatever, and turns out doesn't mean that the story is completely written at that point, but a lot of times through three years, I mean, I think you have a pretty indica- good indicator of where things are going outside of <laughs> Devonte Parker and, you know, some, some later breakouts, you know, coming out of the ether, if you will. But uh, with Devonta Smith, I mean, you're sitting there and I would say this, if I were his, if I were his, uh, uh, his agent, you know in his representation unless he was going to run 435 or something i would say i would be like don't run and then i would say if if you're going to weigh in below like 175 180 i would say don't you dare get on that scale and this is back you know like with 1995 running backs that they didn't work out why cuz they knew they were going to go high in the draft why would you possibly if they ran 462 Like, you know, some of these guys, they wouldn't go that high. So there's only downside. And I can't believe it actually leaked out in April with a medical recheck that Devonta Smith actually got on a scale and it was 166. I cannot believe that actually happened. I thought we were going to go through the entire draft process and he would be drafted that he would never officially weigh in or something. And I was like, if there's any, any doctor, something, something you, what do you do? You do height and weight. Height and weight when you go, when one of us regular people go to the doctor, like how do you how does this not leak out in some capacity? Uh, so Rondell Moore being 5'7 doesn't really bother me as much. We knew he was short, at least he's thick, uh, for his size, and he's electric. Donta Smith is not electric. I'd say that if he ends up having a big ceiling, and I don't want to hear you know, this whole like if he peaks out and he's like wide receiver 27 for his best year or something like that. I think that's kind of a disappointment for how his supporters view him. Um, so having a high floor, quote unquote, uh, you know, coming from the top half of round one in the NFL draft, I don't think that's a, a really good outcome. So I, I think he might be a better NFL player than a fantasy player to, to put it in that spectrum. But his his BMI is like 22. I mean, that's mine. I, I mean, this is uh, this is ridiculous, and and I'm six four, so he's six foot, and he weighs as much as Marquise Brown for goodness sakes. Marquise Brown is tiny out there, like so. I don't know how this works out. I just know I don't bet on outliers that are outliers in a bad way, and no one can tell me that being six foot one sixty five is an outlier in a good way. So I'm more of a metrics guy than a film guy. I do both, absolutely. Um, but again, I always say, if you could only do one, what would you do? And, and for me, it would it would be if I had to, I guess I wouldn't watch the players and I would have all of the data that I have and that I collect and I'm able to collect for for players. And Rondell Moore, again, thick. We've seen his workouts. He squats like 600 and something. I mean, and, and he really, in my opinion, it looks the most similar to, of the past few classes, most similar to someone like Tyreek Hill. And I'm pretty excited about Rondell Moore. The one question I have with him is he's going to slide in the draft by the latest expected draft data um, that he might go in the forties or fifties or something like that. Uh, so that's the one concerning element. I don't think you can have a, a wide receiver that high if they're going to be not a round one pick and there's going to be plenty around one picks expected this year. So I think that does kind of say you can't have them too high or too rich. I think he's going to end up being available though in the, you know 12 like in superflex probably the mid-ish second round if i had to make a guess which is pretty appealing to me but again this doesn't mean what i always say is you can have rondell more ranked wherever you wanted you know you can have him wide receiver two of the class and you know a top 6 overall player but that's it's bad process to take him at 105 because I think he's going to be readily available in round two. So you can still manipulate your draft strategy around getting Rondell Moore, for example. But um, but yeah, so the height thing bothers me less as long as you have a sturdy build, which he does. And he's a top 1% prospect um, in my modeling. And Devonta Smith, again, he produced, but it was late. And so the 165, I mean, we just don't see players. I mean, and yet we have a guy like Tutu Atwell who's weighs in the 140s. How is that gonna play? I had a funny comment from a subscriber who was like who was like my my eight year old my eight year old or twelve year old is like you know five eight and one twenty. it's like are you are you kidding me with with hundred and forty something pounds? you can be as dynamic as you want so this is unprecedented, and i I just don't think it's gonna end well for these truly historic uh low weight wide receivers if i if I had a bet here,
0: yeah, I mean, I'd absolutely. At least with the Tutu Atwell thing, I would 100% agree with you. We will see how Devonta Smith works out there. Certainly some fans of him out there. But I I have to say 149 pounds I think is light for a JV football player, which is just mind-blowing to me.
1: And Tutu Atwell has some big box sites or or podcasts that are still projecting him to be like a top 50, top 60 pick. Yeah, I I, I just can't get my head around it.
0: Yeah, I think I saw it. I, I think I saw Mel Kuyper at one point talking about like fringe first round hype for two, two at well, yeah, which I thought was exactly. absolutely mind boggling. But
1: yeah. well, again, that is the, just, you know, the, the people that their response to everything is just watch the tape. Yeah. Right. And and that can be fine. But to me, it's about, you know, probabilities and it's very much, you know, if you've ever done, I think it's really hard to do rankings if you're just doing it like back of the napkin and it's like, well, if you're not actually looking at anything on paper, Uh, That would be a very difficult and, you know, every day things would change rapidly, you know, for you on how the whims, how you feel. And then especially if you're doing anything that's sort of trade valuation based, uh, again, you have to kind of center on on profiles and numbers and probability and all these types of things. And there's I would just say the fact that the sample size of these types of wide receivers is so small over the past 10 to 20 years speaks to i mean you could say that they're the they're the best or some of the best of this type but this type is not generally well received with high volume in the nfl and frankly if you're not going to get high volume what are we talking about here
0: right yeah i mean I, I don't remember who pointed this out but even the normal people who would like or i shouldn't say normal but the people who would normally uh retort back with you know just go watch the film they're even even they are using analytics to some degree they're just looking at You know, maybe they uh, scout the power five conferences a little heavier instead of the group of five and then are scouting, you know, D1AA less than the group of five. Like that's in and of itself some form of analytics. They just isn't something they necessarily realize they're using.
1: Because if you say you can have all the numbers, you can be looking at box scores. And like you said, you know, strength of schedule or recruiting or all this types of stuff. But then if you just watch the tape when the number one, well, first of all, you wouldn't have exactly how big they are at all. Because, again, you would never get numbers. And then you would also not know how fast they are other than in relation to whoever they're running by or getting caught by, um, et cetera. And then you 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 just wouldn't have you, – you still – you would watch them. Okay, did they have 150 yards? Did they have 109 yards? Because, again, you're not allowed to actually track how what their production is. Exactly. So this would all be based on, you know, man, that guy ran a, a really great 14-yard square in. <laughs> It, it, a lot of it would be based on that. So just be careful when you say you're all about the quote unquote film. And I still do believe that, I mean, us mortals, uh, let's be very, very uh, tempered about the, you know, how much we're, we're gleaning, especially with the passing game. You know, I think running backs are a little more straightforward, but quarterback, wide receiver, tight end grouping there, be very careful about the hubris you have of, you know, I know what I'm doing. I'm scouting and, uh, and I would say tape. A lot of the tape is baked into into to some degree draft position uh, because uh, a lot of that you know a lot of that for NFL teams I've heard you know in the eighty five percent range of their their draft board is kind of decided by the beginning of January when the the draft process starts.
0: Sure, that makes sense. So you had talked about earlier some uh, some opportunities for us to do some for us to learn over the off season. But I was curious. So one of the questions from Wordy is uh, what meta trends have you seen among dynasty drafters in the last year or two that we could capitalize on? So what things have other people not necessarily learned yet that we could capitalize on?
1: Uh, So exploitable aspects. Um, I would say in general, um, future picks are underrated. Uh, I know people are getting smart, smarter, smarter. And, you know, not giving away uh, first rounders, let's say. But there's still what I always say is find the threshold in your league. Uh, So if it's a deeper format, maybe some some teams in your league are readily giving away seconds or thirds. Uh, Future picks are free roster spots. So I still believe that's an exploitable element. I would also say I think we're getting to the point where years ago, I think age was underrated. Just the actual age of, of, of players and it very slightly by position of the optimal zones. But I would say everyone gravitated more towards production and age. And I would say now, and I kind of call it the microwave society where, um, you know, people are overreactive and we have a new wide receiver one in dynasty every two weeks. And, um, you know, it's all about the next 21 year old that's going to be on your dynasty team for the next decade. I think, and now I've become a little stodgy. Now it's t- to me, the more research I do, the more it's about, and those young guys are risky. There is a wide range of outcomes over the next one to two years. Let's say uh, if you value said young player as if they've already done it. Um, and and for example, Cam Akers is one of those players that I love. I dra- He was my most drafted rookie uh, amidst all my, uh, my rookie drafts last year. And I've actually sold him a few spots because it is getting hot in this sauna room Uh, in terms of the projections for him this year where he had a few games. He had a few nice games, but he certainly is not on the historical success track that, say, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, and and J.K. Dobbins even. uh, All those other top uh, Antonio Gibson uh, backs from last year, they were far more productive, um, and that is a very strong indicator uh, for you know, quality years remaining, all that type of stuff. And so I have become, especially at Superflex, you know, so many good veteran quarterbacks that are going rounds and rounds later than guys that have never done it. And uh, the, the, the exploitable aspect for players and just profiles, I would say, is who has done it. Um, and especially there's value players at every single position of guys that are. It, it, they don't have to be old. This doesn't mean you're going after Adrian Peterson at 29 years old, you know, and going, that's my running back one. That's not the sort of reference point here. It's that guys that, like Ezekiel Elliott right now has a massive discount. I mean, he's going to be the starting running back on one of the best offenses in the NFL. with a healthy deck. So, and yet people are just wanting to, to throw him out and have him behind, you know, way behind cam Akers, for example, and uh, a number of other players. So just keep that in mind. Uh, you know, for me, it's, like wide receiver this year is like the most fruitful uh, veteran grouping of like 26 to 29 year old wide receivers that have all been hyper productive for years and yet there's a massive discount on many of them in dynasty cuz everyone wants the let me get in early you know let me have DK Metcalf right now cuz he's going to be he's you know in 5 years we're going to look back and he's on a, a Mike Evans track and i would just say be careful be careful because until you've done it two or three times, uh, there is a decent chance that they just stop doing it, you know, and that they aren't as good as you think they are. And a number of things could happen, uh, whether that's durability or off the field or profile. I mean, they really haven't shown enough to you and especially with incoming rookies. So I'm getting a little stodgy in my quote unquote older age that I'm, I'm looking for the more durable profiles and, and gravitating a little less and being less sensitive to well, if this guy, you know, if this quarterback is 26 and this quarterback's 31, let's make the 26-year-old uh, a lot more valuable because of those years remaining. I would say the 31-year-old has plenty of years remaining that we probably shouldn't worry about it as much as we do.
0: Yeah, I think uh, listening to you and Jordan talk about cam makers on the Football Guys Dynasty Show, I think that inspired quite a bit of research questions for me personally. Thinking about when he was mentioning the implied hit rate versus where he's getting picked at versus his base rate for where he got drafted at. And I think that's a, it's a really interesting concept to think about especially with the production factors you spoke about too. Yeah.
1: Keep adjusting. What I always say is, I mean, take all information. Now we have one season of, of data points for, for these players, but Cam Akers is not in the same boat as those other uh, top, top rookies. He's fading behind. And yet You could argue, I mean, he's the, or he's close to, you know, Taylor's ahead of him a little bit. He's probably close-ish with DeAndre Swift, um, but ahead of, you know, Antonio Gibson and stuff like that. And I was I would just say, be careful, because I've pivoted to Barkley, pivoted to McCaffrey, and I haven't had to pay very much at all on top of Cam Akers, which is just a, to me, a crushing historical bet. uh, Because those guys have shown a ton in the NFL, and they have massive, you know, number one overall running back upside. Uh, for even this coming season, and Cam Akers, we've still got plenty of question marks.
0: Absolutely. Uh, through a lot of that answer, you, you spoke a bit about what your process looks like. And I was wondering if you could maybe uh, speak speak to how your process works for scouting rookies and Devies as well. And give us maybe a couple guys that your process really loves uh, from this class, as well as maybe a couple Devies coming up that you're really into.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. So, um, for Devi, I'll I'll make it quick with a couple of bullet points. Which is, I love getting Devi picks. Um, that's another thing that people throw around, especially late, quote unquote, late Devi picks. And I would say, you know, Devi picks are valuable. We call them uh, Kitty Flower, and I call them the Steph Curry. You know, because you can hit from anywhere. Um, you know, guy For example, I mean, in Devi leagues right now, super flex or otherwise, guys like Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. I mean, not drafted. I mean, even in Devi's that like two hundred were owned. Uh, Those quarterbacks slip through the cracks um, every single year uh, that are highly drafted by the NFL. Trey Lance being another one, you know, largely uh, after his freshman season uh, a year ago, he was barely getting drafted um, by by Debbie folks. But so for Debbie, I I look at a couple different things Um, and I would say I'm a little more sensitive to what's their physical profile with size, speed, BMI, you know, recruiting. Do they look the part um, that type of stuff at running back? And I would say at wide receiver, tight end and and quarterback, I'm looking more at production. I'm looking more at the resume because there are a lot of busts. And when you get an 18, 19, 20 year old, that is one plus year away from the NFL process. Even there's a lot of risk. If you take a non-productive player and non-productive is relative. Again, I do a lot of age-based stuff, but um, if you take someone that hasn't done it, uh, they, you better think that they have a big time ceiling if they're an incoming freshman or if, especially if they're a wide receiver. I see way too many in general wide receivers taken in, in Debbie leagues, especially guys that are, you know, they're good recruits. They're at a good program, but to be fair, they're a dime a dozen. If they came in with a couple other guys this year, probably in next class, they're going to have a couple more. So these, these big windows that they can be the guy and with a strong quarterback and produce, then the NFL values them. And frankly, I mean, if you follow the day three of the NFL, that's a train wreck for a wide receiver. But you a running back, you might still be interested. Um, so that would be one point is the passing game weapons, man, they better produce. I want to take the productive guys with good enough NFL traits. Uh, and then at, at running back, I am a little more open to taking incoming freshmen. Um, I would say, uh, so just to mention a few names in this ilk uh, that, for example, uh, guys that have done it, like Tank Bigsby was one of my guys last year. And I know B. John Robinson out of Texas um, outproduced him. Um, but Tank Bigsby, over 200 pounds, he came in running in the four fours. He was a big-time recruit at Auburn. So he's already in the top 10% of my projection model in terms of overall score. So he's one that I was gravitating towards last year. We saw a promising freshman season, and he's on that track um, and, and obviously, you know, we've got guys like Isaiah Spiller, Brees Hall is a big name, uh, upcoming for the, uh, the 2022 class. And I think running back in 2022 is going to be about the same as 21, which might depress some people, but, um, potentially, you know, the, the freshman uh, that would be 2023, uh, it looks a lot better. And we could have one of those 2018 type classes that really looks good, um, in terms of wide receivers, uh, and again, we're looking for productive guys. I will say this, though the freshmen that kind of uh, changed that a little bit for me and Deeper Debbie that I gravitate towards are a guy Hall, uh, a G Hall, sorry. I mean, actually, at the uh, the Alabama spring game, he, he caught up a, a couple of contested plays. He's 6'3, runs in the 4'4s. Four he showed that contested play, uh, Maven ability coming out. And Christian Leary is actually similar, in my opinion, to Jalen Waddell. Big time speed guy. He's shorter, but he has uh, good thickness already in the 180s. Um, So those are the two incoming freshmen at Alabama. And if you watch those games this year, you've got John Mechie, but there's a lot of, there's four incoming freshmen that all have good profiles and they're going to be able to get early playing time. And I think Hall and Leary are two of those. Uh, You also mentioned uh, rookies, right? Yes, sir. Uh, For this year. Yeah. Um, So for rookies, and again, it's a, a combo of of all those elements I mentioned for for Devi. Um, but now we're baking in some some draft positions, some actual, you know, not uh, home cooking with their with their heights and weights and all those types of things that can be very misleading. I mean, you saw the Rashad Bateman where it's like he's been listed for a couple of years at 210 pounds. He comes out this this draft process and says, I've never I've never played over 200 in my my whole career. You know, and then he weighs in at 190. So where where does 210 come from? So until you get confirmation, you don't know. And uh, for wide receivers, I mentioned Rondell Moore, um, just being one of my favorite profiles, um, a top one percenter um, in my projection model. Um, I would say at running back, I don't know why Travis Etienne gets as much shade as he does. Um, A lot of people assume it's Najee Harris and then everyone can just go get in line. Many people have Javante Williams over Travis Etienne. I would say let's see what happens in the draft because right now a lot of the expected draft position through one of my favorite sites. So shout out to grinding the mocks, uh, which aggregates hundreds, if not thousands of mock drafts into uh, expected draft position and a number of other things. But Etienne is right there, you know, in that 25 to 35 kind of expected draft position range. So if he gets round one uh, pedigree and yet or even early round two, but he gets pushed to like the mid first round in a one quarterback league. I am heavily, heavily interested in that, even though we'll see Najee Harris might go top 20, top 25 and easily running back one off the board. I get all that. Uh, But to me, the biggest thing is, you know, Javante Williams being over Etienne, for example, or Etienne not being far enough away from the rest of the field, uh, because he certainly has a a big time profile that is on par on paper with a lot of those top running backs last year. And yet he's going to have the similar pedigree, you know, in the top 40, top 50 that we saw from Taylor, Akers, Dobbins, et cetera. Um, So, again, I think he's just not going to be viewed quite as valuable as those guys from last year. And he has a a pretty strong resume um, to do so. Um, At tight end, I would say one sneaky guy for me is Hunter Long. Uh, He's actually now an expected draft position ahead of Brevin Jordan. A lot of people wouldn't guess that. Uh, Brevin Jordan didn't work out very well and more of a prototypical Uh, tight end build and and with quality comps for me is is hunter long out of boston college so don't be surprised especially in two tight end leagues i think he's going to be a pretty big value and you know i I think you could end up sneaking into late round two but he's probably going to be in that 70 to 90 range in round three but he started the process uh with, with with a lot of mock draft data being in the you know mid mid to early day three range and now i think he's a pretty good bet to be day two
0: Yeah, we had uh, Mathbomb on for an AMA as well, and he mentioned that basically any tight end that scores under a five in RAS is practically sunk from launch. So, you know, looking at you, of Smith, but also that that includes Brevin Jordan. And it's unfortunate to see, but, you know, we definitely have seen Hunter Long rise rise to the occasion in his EDP as well. Yeah, we're definitely big fans of uh, grinding the mocks here as well. But... All right. So we uh, had mentioned, we had saw that on Twitter that you at one point recently had tweeted out uh, that you had some sources that Zach Wilson was going first overall. Uh, (laughs) Would you like to speak on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. um, And basically, yes, I I have, you know, heard a couple things from people that, you know, again, people don't reveal sources. I'm not a news reporter or anything like that, but all that was, was, was told to me was, this whole like 100%, 0% probability curve that Trevor Lawrence is going to Jacksonville, it's not 100%, 0%. Um, so between 101, 102, 103, which is what we're you know, centering on, you know, I, I would say Mac Jones, people are a little less certain. Um, but, you know I mean, you hear Adam Schefter talk about how that's basically a done deal. And you've got Lawrence, and then the draft starts at four. You've got Lawrence at one, you've got Zach Wilson at two. And uh, the other part of this is, are we really sure Trevor Lawrence is, you know, the best quarterback in the class? Is it really that, that forthright? So a lot of that, and also I wanted to do a fun mock draft and see how that, how that transpired with some trades in there, but also the wrinkles of Zach Wilson, who I do think, you know, he's a, a better true arm talent. So if you're looking in, you know, the realm of trying to sharpshoot a Patrick Mahomes type or something like that, that I think, he offers a little more in that capacity than trevor lawrence again i wouldn't take him over trevor lawrence but this whole you know that's like minus minus fifty thousand or whatever of you know of uh trevor lawrence going 101 i would say let's let's let this play out and and nothing is is in stone i mean very few classes has been so glaringly that it's going to be a 101 um at this point so uh, again, mostly my mock draft and and my seed of, of of source information was just that there's more of a chance than the zero percent a lot of people are projecting.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, speaking of uh, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, our user Shane 27 is curious, who are your biggest uh, buys and holds right now in Superflex leagues?
1: Yeah. Superflex, as I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, is is really my favorite format. Um, and and I go deep with Debbie and I, I like to tight end to bring in that format more into focus as well. But but quarterback and superflex or two quarterback is really the exploitable angle um, that I, I'm big on Deshaun Watson. I've acquired a couple of extra shares. I acquired one in January and I haven't. I, again, I think if you go in and the price points now with the discount is that he's going to. You're getting him in like QB ten to fifteen zone of where he's being valued with trades, many of them that are going down. And there's a ton of upside there. You know, I, I talked to somebody on on a show that, you know, they had him at I, I was I said, Where would you have him if none of this had occurred? And he said, He said, Oh, he'd be, you know, quarterback two or three. I said, Well, you have him at QB like fifteen. So that's a very big, I mean and he kind of alluded to he's expecting to you know not Watson not to play for this year and next year and and to me I, I just don't have that valuation. There's a lot of uh, legal analysts and, and folks that are in the legal community that you know at Football Guys staff. So we get a lot of tea leaves of sort of how to read this situation, new news uh, with with his developments uh, on the legal side. And I just the more I go into Dynasty trades and say he, I, I'm a I'm a, I'm doing this trade on a team where I can absorb him not playing at all this year. For the record, I think he's going to play this year. I think there might be a suspension, but I don't think it's going to be for the whole year. But I'm still going into a trade with that baked in that the moment he comes back and plays, if that's week one of 2022, if that's week nine of this year, most of these trades that are going down to buy Deshaun Watson are going to look comically cheap. So just keep that in mind that you're, if you're worried right now, and oh, he'll never play again, and I'm basically flushing whatever I'm paying for him down the drain. When he comes back, you are in a position that you're going to have one of the best and proven, you know, mid-career, youngish quarterbacks out there that you paid you know, uh, a pretty good discount for. So in Superflex, I, I love guys like, for example, Kirk Cousins, Matt Stafford with the trade to the Rams actually got more pricey because, oh, he gets out of Detroit. He gets with a good system, good, uh, you know, good weapons there. Kirk Cousins, for example, these guys that are 31, 32, 33 year old, three years old, they're kind of the sweet spot with Russell Wilson as well. People kind of project them already on the downside, but they've already had a decade in this league. They know what they're doing. They've seen almost everything. And that's a good thing. Uh so Aaron Rodgers last off season he was going like round 5 uh, of super flex startups and you know we kind of looked at each other Jordan and I we did like some some uh some startup and it was like this is either going to be like one of the easiest picks ever to make or you know one of the silliest you know like if he really is like oh you know the packers are going to move on from him and this is going to be the beginning of the end or something like that that but again Bet on strong profiles, and especially if you get like all timers, you know, Aaron Rodgers is an all timer. People have been, I, I got Drew Brees like four years ago in Superflex for really cheap, and it's like, how many years did I get out of him? Or Tom Brady, I mean, buying him last year or even this year, people projecting one more year for a player that still looks like they have a lot left, but. And and then you have the opposite, where Ben Roethlisberger doesn't look like he has a long time left. So you might want to be a little skeptical with that on what you see. But right now, we're getting pretty big discounts on guys like Matt Ryan, for example. I mean, hopefully you're hearing a theme of these types of players. Guys that have been there, done that, they've had high-level seasons. Maybe they're not coming off the highest-level season. But that's why you're getting the discount. But the odds are they come back and perform well, more so than betting on Sam Darnold or Daniel Jones or Jalen Hurts of being like a stabilizing multi-year going forward NFL starter, let alone something fantasy wise. So be careful with that. You know, we're projecting Joe Burrow to be great. Like you're still projecting on a guy that was okay. Fantasy wise in his first year, let's see. I would rather wait two or three or four years on Joe Burrow, make sure that he is going to stick in the league. He's a, a franchise guy, actually good for fantasy And then I'll start waiting until his later 20s where he probably gets a little discount going. And then I'll transition and maybe have some Joe Burrow shares. But drafting a guy at 101 in Superflex, for example, is not my typical MO. I did do that with Kyler Murray a little bit because I thought the rushing upside was immense. It's not immense with Joe Burrow, for example. It's not immense with Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion. But the older guys that have been stalwarts for their team, that now you're getting discounts. Um, are the guys that I gravitate towards, uh, and that that was a few of them I mentioned. For example, I mean, you can still get Ryan Fitzpatrick for dirt cheap. I mean, I think he's going to be outside of them making a big trade up or something in round one. You're going to get him as the projected starter for the entire year for the Washington uh, football team. So, and possibly beyond that. You know, people have been writing him off for three, four years now. So, th- those types of profiles when you can get a big, deep discount. Uh, and again, Kirk Cousins in the teens, for example, or Stafford a, a little bit, but Matt Ryan, uh, especially if you know Matt Ryan's going to fall through the floor, let's say Atlanta drafts, you know, Trey Lance or something at four that there, everyone's going to assume Matt Ryan, you're done. Well, he's not going to be done NFL wise. Like even if Atlanta moves on after this year, first of all, I would expect Matt Ryan to start a bunch of games this year. Uh, and if they fall out of it, they probably transition to, to the rookie, but if if he's not the starter in Atlanta, he's not going to be there for three years g- absorbing a huge salary. He's going to move on to other opportunities. So that's the great thing, you know, that kind of separates Dynasty from the NFL is we don't if they're on a different team, it's OK for us. So uh, those are the types of profiles that I think people generally in Superflex underrate.
0: Yeah, I, I know that you got uh, you and Jordan have spoke about Ryan and, and the Atlanta situation in the past being a potential watch area for uh, some potential value depending on how the draft goes. And I definitely, definitely agree with that. You had mentioned, uh, you mentioned, you sounded a little skeptical of Burrow just kind of wanting to wait to see him prove a little more in the NFL. Now I know that their first year production was a little different, but how then uh, does that, uh, that same process work with Herbert? How are you treating Herbert?
1: Well, yeah, they, well, I would start with, they were pretty different in terms of how they produced. Um, and, and Herbert, the surprising thing was he did it without really running. And we kind of thought that might, you know, a big guy that's mobile uh, is sort of one of his better traits um, going into the NFL. Um, so for Herbert uh, jumping in, and again, he had a top 12 season as a rookie. That's very uncommon. And it's a very positive, uh, a big positive indicator going forward where Burrow for the 101 pretty much had an average season the average finish in fantasy uh adjusted points per game for uh the 101 quarterback is quarterback 23 to 24 it's it's a decimal in between those two and Burrow was I want to say I'm pulling it up now I, I believe in adjusted points per game he was like 19 something like that so I, I always say this with with quarterbacks You either have to be a diabolical, yeah, quarterback 19. You either have to be a diabolical passer, uh, you know, think Drew Brees, think Tom Brady, or you have to have high-level rushing, like elite. Think Lamar Jackson, think Josh Allen, you know, before uh, he put up the big season uh, passing-wise, you know, this past year and showed a lot of development there. Or you have to be a quality blend of both. Think Russell Wilson. Um, So with Burrow, Let's see where he fits. Could he could he be really good as a passer and add you know three hundred four hundred yards as a runner? That, that's probably the sweet spot if he's going to get home uh, and, and be that high level guy. Because the other part is if you you better get some discount. You know again you can find the veterans that are going to post you know quarterback five or six to fifteen. You know and you have a really strong confidence curve that they're going to finish somewhere in there for the next few years. And so if you take Burrow and say, well, he's way more expensive than some of those guys, he better, you better have confidence that he's going to potentially post an impact season, which I would say, sometimes it's one QB, sometimes it's three or four, uh, but there's always a tier line somewhere where it's like, oh, these were the guys that actually moved the needle in your super flex league. Because discount, if you go Burrow to uh, Kirk Cousins right now, I mean, what's the plus you can get on top of that? You can probably get a mid to high first this year. You can get a future first and maybe a wide receiver that's weekly startable um, in your leagues added on to Kirk Cousins. And what I say is, if you take the Burrow side of a deal like that, just try to beat that other team and impact for your team. And then even if you get it wrong, you get like a future first pick on top of it to say, even if I'm wrong, even if Cousins drops off at the age of 33, which is really unexpected, I can still win this deal with the pick. So for Burrow, again, he showed some promise weapons could be very good there, but until a quarterback puts up a couple of top 12 seasons or so, you still have to have some level of pause. And I would say, you know, Herbert having one quality season so far, he's on the right track, you know, but I'm still not one that I sit there in a super flex draft or um, in in the trade market and say, I'm going to pay QB five prices for Justin Herbert. I'm still not one of those. Uh, But for Burrow, he still needs a couple. So he's, he's 0 for 1, and yes, he had injuries, but I look at it in a points-per-game fashion. And so he's 0 for 1. Is he going to get one this year? Is he going to get one the year following? So I, so for me, there's just there's too much risk to dive in and be all in on somebody uh, that highly from, from the get-go or before they really start to produce at a projectable level going forward.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I know that you spoke in the past as well, about needing to be careful about the profiles like Baker Mayfield, Um, a little bit about Kyler Murray, but, you know, as you mentioned that there's definitely that nice blend of rushing upside as well. Um, So moving forward, uh, one of our users, Sam, who's our our fearless leader, uh, was curious, what were some of the biggest flaws in your process last season? And how are you working on fixing them?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Uh, we're always looking inward. I actually do such a transparency for my dynasty trades, uh, because and I share, you know, on some platform, I share basically every trade I make. Uh, and I'm definitely not, you know, the ones I don't share, they're like meaningless. You know, like I traded some player for a fourth, and there's not a lot of big takeaways there. But one of my tenants is provide transparency. You know, and and no, I don't spout it on Twitter and, and all that kind of stuff. But the folks that are actually investing in me as super fans, listeners, subscribers, all of that, um, they get a lot of, of, quote unquote, the good stuff of here's how Chad actually produces in his dynasty leagues. Here's the trades he's making. Here's the rookie drafts. You know, here's his exposure rates to, to players, all of that type of stuff so that, you know, unequivocally that I am I am behind and I'm actually putting into practice. Uh, the advice that i'm seeking like when i say right now that you know i added something to Cam makers to get christian mccaffrey that actually happened i did it i didn't just talk about someone else doing it you know or or taking that off of a dynasty trade finder and i was like oh that's a good idea i should tell people to do that no it's my trade i did that with with you know skin in the game for my own my own teams um i would say transparency one of the things that i uh, that i'm really trying to fix uh that so, so far i haven't really done it uh, in, in 2021. So that's showing growth. Cause I did it two or three times in, in 2020. And this was like in January, February. Uh, so you got to clean it up, you know, and that's why I always tell people to document your trades. You don't have to share with anybody, but, but write them all down. What'd you give? What'd you receive? Uh, grade it if you want, what's your motivation, what's your mindset behind it? Cause you can start to get some trends. Uh, so I've been tracking that for a few years now. And so a few times I got a little squirrely last early last season, I would call this getting cute where, You'll give up a cornerstone player. I think once or twice I gave up Alvin Kamara, for example, of getting, oh, let me get a young player and a pick. And, you know, I'm getting ahead of the game with uh, having, you know, maybe some concern about a drop-off or, again, betting against a profile that is deemed highly productive historically. And so a couple times, um, I lost those traits. Uh, I lost them. Uh, and, and, again, could they work out? Absolutely. Uh, like one of them, for example, and I, I just don't think it was – Great process. I believe I traded uh, Alvin Kamara for you know the 101 and something, and it turned into Jonathan Taylor. I love Jonathan Taylor. I was trying to get him everywhere I could, but I don't think that was proper process. Uh, just to say that that um, I and again through one year, it looks like it worked out. You know, Taylor had a, a really nice run, but he did need a Marlon Mack injury. We'll never really know how that ends up transpiring. Otherwise, um, so the thing I, I would call that getting cute is you don't want to. Um, Another deal, you know, that I looked up from a couple of years ago is Devante. I traded Devante Adams for like two first, T.Y. Hilton at the time, you know, a bunch of stuff. But the, the thing is a bunch of stuff. So you've got a really sharp shoot. So that's a big loss. That's getting cute. So I have really refined myself and said, you know, when you have something that you really like, whatever the age, why don't you just keep it? If you really, you know, especially if they're like an auto start player, you've got to have a lot of pause. Um, and the same thing with like incoming rookies, if you draft them Debbie wise and it's like, so you've had them for a year or two and unless you're adding to them and and turning it into a true elite, you know, top 10, 15 player in dynasty. Why? Like why? You know, you've, you've been earmarking this player and you want to go upwards on the board with those types of players, not downward. So I would say if you have a good team that the players that are important to you Be really skeptical about trading them away and really specific about what you aggressively want. Um, The other thing for me is the tracking I've done, I'm really good with rookie picks. When I make trades and I get rookie picks or I get rookie pick upgrades, future picks, um, when I'm selectively trading down in a rookie draft and picking up future capital in addition to moving down uh, within the current year, I do really well with those things. So the lesson I've learned is protect your core uh, there's plenty of players that I will flip and trade and maneuver all around the uh, the, the marketplace um, with them otherwise, and then try to get picks whenever possible, because again, I'm good with them. I'm comfortable with them. And that's how I prefer to have capital on my team. So if you self scout and you're not good with picks, that's okay. It, you're like, man, I just, I don't have good resources or I don't have a good feel for navigating the draft itself. I tend to go towards the wrong profile. So you can either change your approach to how you use your picks or what I said, what I always say is I'm not like, if you have your first, second, and third rounders, you can do very well in the trade market by trading them for players. You don't actually have to select incoming rookies if you don't want, that's fine. But I think a lot of the, a lot of people, if they're not good with rookie picks or they don't want them early and they sell them for the wrong things and all of that. So really refine what, you know, and and sort of turning this outward now is look at what you're not good at and, and, Either A, minimize its importance and impact for you with your teams, or try to improve. So again, if I'm not, let's say I'm not good trading away top players for three or four pieces that I deem are are a good value. So I can either get better at doing that or just stop doing that. So for the last, let's say 12 months, I've stopped doing it. And I think my teams are better off for that. Now, the other way is saying, Let's figure out a better way to do this. It's like that. It's like that commercial. There's got to be a better way. Um, that so so that's what I would say is either avoid doing your weaknesses or improve them so that you're at least average. And like I said, so I'm I'm trying to accelerate the things I'm good at. And for the for the near term, you know, over the last twelve months or so, like I said, I've I've pretty much reduced to nil the times that I've sold a high end player uh, like Alvin Kamara, Devontae Adams, those types. Uh, for, for the packages, uh, just because those have been some of my glaring losses over the last four to five years.
0: Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so another question from Solar coming in. Uh, what research questions are you thinking about this season?
1: Oh, that's a big one. Um, I would say you're always, if you have like a projection model, you're always kind of refining what uh what i always say is it's like a science experiment what are what's the question you are asking because there's a lot of people that do uh, prospect research you know on the on the data side out there and you can just find them on twitter it's it's not overly hard and everyone kind of has their own process the one thing that i find interesting is you can disagree with someone where you're like oh this guy grades highly such and such this is my number two running back but what i would always say is what's the question they are asking? Because you might be having a disagreement or argument, but really it's like, well, are you seeking, are you projecting who is going to have the best 10 years in the NFL? Is that defined by number of seasons starting? Is that defined by fantasy points per game? Is that annual finish? Is that first three years? Is that career VBD? Is that year one? What are? What is it you are actually testing to answer you are building a model or building some sort of grading system to answer the NFL is attempting to answer a different question than we are. We have to be more selective than the NFL because we have fewer roster spots and we are looking for more uh, high end impact. An NFL team might take a special teamer in round three or four, largely a special teamer uh, and an ancillary offensive piece. We cannot do that. We are not looking for that. So that's what I would say is, uh, so I, I am looking at a couple different lenses and I can go a lot of different ways on this um, in terms of what am I calibrating to grade and of, of what is the most important. So if you say, ah, I'm looking for, you know, the highest average points per game in their first three seasons. Well, are you holding a player for three seasons? Are you holding all players for three seasons? Uh, so I'm actually thinking, and this is something that I, I don't know if, even know if I've really said it um, on another platform, but I'm kind of thinking of a dual system of maybe something that's a little more longer term, as well as something that might be, you know, like max, max points per game in their first two seasons, for example, because I, I did a study and it's amazing the amount of turnover you have on a dynasty roster that within two seasons, about half your roster has gone whether that's trading, whether that's the waiver wire, uh, dropping someone that, uh, you know, drafting, you know, that your, your roster turns over a lot more than most think. And so if you're looking at that lens, this whole, like, Oh, this player, you know, is going to be good for the next five years. You may have three or four players that are on your team for four or five years from this point today. So just be careful saying that that doesn't mean that they've turned into a bust and they're horrible but it just means that you are trading them because you find value. You might be trying to get something else and that player's got to go. So so that's one thing is I'm I'm thinking of adjusting or having multiple different facets of what question are you attempting to answer with your projecting of young players and or specifically prospects. Um, And the other thing that I've been thinking about is the things like, Optimal um, dynasty roster construction, uh, which we've refined quite a bit over the last twelve to to twenty four months. And the uh, and also uh, the facet of age, like I mentioned, about it being a little overstated, and part of that connects to the players that are are generally overstating how long we're looking at these lenses of my dynasty team, my dynasty league, and all these things are connected. i'm not I'm not shifting to playing redraft. But I think, you know, the next two to three years is sort of a bigger picture lens when if you're valuing a 20, I would say sometimes you're valuing it the correct way, but for the, uh, the wrong reason. Like if you're valuing a 21-year-old running back, because like, for example, the interesting part for me as a 21-year-old running back is their pro- the breakout window is, t- you know, the best seasons are typically 23 to 25. If you get a 21, 22 year old you know incoming rookie type or second year player, kind of getting the whole thing. and so so that is the correct element. But this whole concept of so you you're encapsulating the breakout potential of getting someone, and now they're producing to a much higher level, and they probably are more requisite uh, valued at that point. And then the other thing would be, but if you're but if you're drafting a twenty one year old thinking twenty one year old running back, thinking that they're going to be on your team for the next five to six years, That's the wrong reason for having the right outcome, you know, the, the process part uh, because you're probably not going to have them that long. And I think the young wide receiver is probably the biggest element of that. Like there's too many guys right now that are 24 and younger at wide receiver that cross-section of dynasty thinks that they're all going to be next three to five years, the greatest producers and the great, you know, they're all going to be in the top 24 or so. And there's going to be some pretty glaring misses in there that are, are pretty highly valued and thought to be bulletproof uh, for the time being that, uh, again, I think just, just looking at age is, is a, a way to get yourself into trouble because like I said, I think the global dynasty community overvalues it a little bit.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of uh, some young receivers, um, I have seen recently that you are a big fan of Terrace Marshall. We have uh, a few <laughs> big fans here as well. And I was curious if you could talk through a little bit what your model like um, really likes about him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he was a a big-time recruit. I will say that um, recruiting at wide receiver and tight end and quarterback matters a whole heck of a lot less than than running back. Um, and, and I think that makes tangible sense in how you think about those positions as well. Running back at 17, 18 years old, fewer variables. Put the ball in his belly and watch him go. Um, and, and that happens at high school. College and pro. Uh, wide receiver, there's a lot more variable, a lot more nuance to learning the position. For Terrace Marshall, uh, I mean, 21.3 years old. Um, age is an absolute factor for me. 21.5 and, and younger is a huge boost compared to older uh, subsets of, of wide receivers. So he has that optimal age zone. You know, the, the build is all good. The fact that he worked out about four, four Oh, he averaged almost a touchdown per game, highly productive, basically no flaws. The one flaw I would say is, you know, could he have broke out a little earlier? He did have Jamar chase there. Um, There's, you know, some competition for targets. I get all that, but it's baked in, but he did break out at 19 years old. He had an even more massive 20 year old season. And like I said, basically no flaws. He was productive, um, highly athletic, prototypical size. And he was a big-time recruit with age, and that's why he's a top 1% prospect. I will say he was, like, top 3 or 4% entering the uh, entering the athletic testing that we had during the the non-combine and, and pro-day-centric year uh, in 2021. So he was a little short. And, again, production is the most important. If you get age, you get recruiting, a lot of their profile is already kind of set. Uh, just kind of how the NFL works as well. And so the athletic part for a wide receiver is kind of a cherry on top. I mean, it can turn someone from a, again, 95% score to a 99% score, or, you know, uh, 65 to 73. It's not a massive move though, because the production part is already a, a massive and, and age part is a massive element. But the other part is Terrence Marshall has a pretty good chance to go in round one. Now the part that came out this past week of, you know, uh, ankle and, and knee and, you know, some, some nagging lower body stuff. If he falls and I would call falling right now, if he were to fall out of the top, I don't know, 45 or 50, you know, if he goes behind Bateman and Moore and, uh, you know, both Moors and maybe Tylan Wallace, I mean, if he starts to slip like that, then I think we can maybe go towards that medical stuff, but, uh, as being a reason for concern, but if he ends up going in round one with that profile and I, I just cringe when I say this, but if someone goes to Baltimore and that's going to be a little bit of a tough sell, I don't react to situation. So it's going to be a really tough one. If you know, Rashad Bateman or Terrace Marshall goes to Baltimore, sounds like a movie from the fifties, but if, uh, yeah. if Marshall, uh, if Marshall does go there, but he'll at least lock in that round one pedigree in that instance. So if he gets round one with his profile, I mean, there's a very good argument for him to be wide receiver two in the class. And that's where he sits projected uh pre-draft for me right now.
0: Absolutely. Um, speaking of uh, projections that your your model makes, uh, can you speak to a time uh, when uh, you didn't agree with what your model was outputting and you ended <laughs> up doing something different?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, there, my glaring player uh, is is Matt Jones. So let's rewind because this is a a very deep pull. and and frankly, if you're not from washington d c, you may not have even recollection of this occurring. Uh, but it was a pretty short-lived uh window story. I'm actually looking back. I think it was 2015. Yeah, it was 2015 class. So, I w- I was, you know, scouting players, I was looking at looking at some tape and I come upon Matt Jones. Uh he was coming out of Florida. He was a pretty good recruit and uh but he was a he was a relative non-producer. But I found some tape on him that I was like I was watching this guy that's 220 plus. I was like, well, he doesn't have elite speed, but look at this guy. He's like Marshawn Lynch out there. I was like, look at this guy breaking tackles, bull in a China shop. And I was like, he's got some really good feet and agility, some short term acceleration for his size. And, but he looks horrible on paper. Like he was like an absolute middle of the road metric prospect, again, non-producer. He actually scored 17% in rushing production, 5% in receiving production. Um, but this was in, in, you know, January, February of that year, he ended up running a 4.61, pretty middling, but he did have a nice three cone, which is pretty important compared to, you know, vertical and broad and all that type of, type of stuff. Um, so Matt Jones was what, like my sleeper type. I was drafting him everywhere because I liked the tape so much. The big part was the the cost obviously I I got, you know, a little pat on the back when he ends up going 95 overall in the, in the NFL draft. Now I wasn't specifically planning on that, but I did think it was warranted in that class. He ended up going, you know, behind a a few guys that were far more uh, deserving. You know, that was, that was the Gurley and Melvin Gordon class. Um, But I, I thought he kind of drafted was drafted where he fit. And in that round three, round four range, but a lot of people weren't tracking him. He still went like the third round of rookie draft. So I was, I was accumulating a ton of shares, and rookie rookie year, he had this pocket where I believe he had a hundred yard game, he had another solid game or something, and he had this window that he was worth a first round rookie pick. And I know a lot of people, you know, they they always talk about like, oh, well, this guy was never worth such and such because it was never like a static, oh, in February of such and such off season, everyone globally agreed that they were a top fifty dynasty player or whatever, is kind of how they use the basis point for what a player was worth. But so many young players actually have windows where they are A, worth more than the rookie draft costs when you have first acquired them. And B, a running back that is young that produces in season, and Matt Jones had the starting job at that point in time. Those are guys that can be flipped for a first round pick. Not saying you have to. And I I missed that window a little bit. I think I sold one or two shares, but I still had a bunch that eventually turned to zero, like a penny stock or whatever. But Matt Jones was that guy that again. I couldn't really get behind him. I couldn't write a good story uh, for a a UT article or something that, that that other than saying, I I think there's something here. And the biggest part, so when there's disagreement, if some guy really doesn't have a good metric profile, it has to be cheap. And Matt Jones was cheap. He was like a fourth round rookie pick valuation. And then after he got drafted day two, he was a third rounder. And that's very palatable as opposed to, making exception after, like, for example, um, who was the guy this year? Kadarius Tony, I believe that has a, a horrible metric profile. Like if he goes in the first round, like he's projected to be, I mean, he's going to be one of the worst ones of all time. He was a relative non-producer. And I know people don't want to hear that at Florida. I mean, but you're talking about a guy that averaged 42 yards per game in his career, 13 yards per catch. He never broke out market share wise. So you can tell me how much he separates, how much he's Tyreek Hill, um, how, exception 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 and i'll just say show me when he produced show me when he had uh, for his age a good market share and and sorry but being in the 20s at 21 years old uh you know with a good quarterback and kyle trask he didn't have the excuse of like oh it's a horrible horrible offense Kadarius tony didn't even do it at 21 years old so i just to me it's a non-starter so like that's an example of like if he's your Matt Jones, the problem is the price is not going to be like a third-round rookie pick. Um, so I will make exceptions. Uh, Matt Jones is one of those glaring ones to me. He worked out for a moment in time, cup of coffee there in his rookie year. and went down from there. But uh, I think a lot of the traits that I sought, you know, that I, I saw were, were correct. Uh, but very rarely am I going to make an exception. If anything, I would say, even if I watch a guy, if they have a real an elite metric prospect profile. Um, I will side with that a lot more of being like, you know, I watch them. I don't think they're super special um, or anything like that. So I'm definitely, again, a metric over film guy um, if they are in dissonance with with rare exception, Uh, just because it it comes to fruition a lot more where the weak metric prospect, if they do hit, it's not for long. And, you know, if they do go highly in the draft, they're typically just going to go higher than I'm willing to pay.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. So. Uh, we spoke earlier where you had mentioned you're um, a little more agnostic to age as you, <laughs> I, th- I think you uh, used the term uh, uh, curmudgeonly, uh, but <laughs> uh, our user Bryce in what, the live chat was curious, uh, if you talk about how you feel about Zach Ertz, is that a place where you're willing to take him and see if there's a bounce back considering all the production he's had in the past?
1: Yeah, um, I am definitely willing to. I've acquired a couple of Zach Ertz shares, like an FFPC, for example, where you don't want to be too heavy at the position. Um, I, I'm a little interested to see. You know, I thought my he might be traded, for example, or something like that. Um, so far this off season, but that hasn't happened yet. But yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy that for four straight years before 2020, uh, he was a top five adjusted uh, point per game guy. So that's a a tremendously rare uh, stature. I mean, you're basically of the productive current guys in the NFL. I mean, you've got Kelsey ahead of them. I mean, Graham clearly on the downside, Gronkowski clearly on the downside. Um, and that's the list. I mean, he's ahead of everybody else in, in, uh, top 12 seasons. And so he had an outlier bad year, but the more I read about it is that he was playing hurt. And a lot of times, if you see someone playing hurt, they look like a shell of themselves. I remember Devonte Adams, when he was supposed to break out, I think it was a Jordy Nelson injury or something like that years ago, that Adams was like, he was playing through an ankle injury. And it's like, what's up with this guy? And it was really disappointing and disheartening to see that he just looks like a shell of a player that we expected. And when you see that just randomly out of the blue, and could this be the sign that, that Ertz has done or, or something or a clear downside? Maybe, but a lot of times. And we saw that with Alvin Kamara, you know, he had a cross section, I think of not last year, but the year before where he was playing, you know, on a bum wheel and he couldn't break tackles. He would basically just catch the ball and that would be the end of things, uh, which is very much not, not Alvin Kamara. So for Zach Ertz, again, the guy couldn't separate. He actually, you would see him after some of these contested plays and, or drops or whatever, and he would just kind of look bewildered. Like, this is not me. This is not my game. Um, So when he fought, when guys like that fall through the floor and it's not like he's 37 years old and it's like, Oh, this is the end for sure. Like historically, this is it. Um, You know, with Antonio Gates, right. You know, the last uh, couple of years, I mean, it looked like he was clearly done, but that's after 12, 14, 15 years. Uh, But for, for Ertz, he's fallen to a point that again, a lot of people, myself included, I really like Dallas Goddard. So the best opportunity may be Ertz outside of the Eagles, but when you accumulate profiles, that are undervalued that have been historically productive when situations change. I don't like Hertz, but you know what? If he doesn't work out, it's probably gonna be a one-year thing for him, you know, that they're gonna do something else in 2022. So if Ertz were still there, that would be good news. If they move on from Goddard, you know, for example, or if if Ertz goes somewhere else, if he's still got the goods, he will still start in the NFL. So I really like the discounted productive bets especially when they're not super old. It's sort of a moving spectrum line where, you know, if you get to the point of, you know, say 33, 34, 35, you've got to get some discount on there a la Tony Gonzalez to make it worth it because they are literally on a one-to-one, one-year trajectory there where they could turn in to dust. So you need to get a requisite discount. I don't think Ertz is there now, but I've gotten him as a glorified throw-in uh, to deals and especially in tight end premium I think that's that's the equity you're looking for.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. We have a couple a couple more questions coming in. Um, mm-hmm. so I know that you and Jordan have argued about Carson Wentz before. Uh if you had to pick between Baker Mayfield and Carson Wentz, who are you taking?
1: Oh hurts hurts uh hurts my brain and it hurts a lot of people's brains. You know, if you're if you're not a huge fan of either one um i have them back to back in the rankings i do have wins higher and the main reason is this that i i don't think baker mayfield has a big fantasy ceiling he came back and it was a rebound and promising season but people are generally overrating it um he was like i think still in the 20s uh with how he finished in points per game last year and to say that you bounced back and you were in the 20s again i like baker mayfield the player but fantasy wise i think he's He's you know fringe worthy in, in superflex in terms of the impact he provides, period. Um Carson Wentz may not work out. I do think going to the the Colts and the system and the offensive line, Jonathan Taylor, there's so many positives to project just a clean state, clean slate, clean start uh for and, and a refresh for Wentz that I think we're going to see a pretty nice bounce back. We've seen a ceiling from Carson Wentz that is well beyond anything Baker Mayfield has done. And in my opinion, will ever do. So I think you take that possibility upside bet of Carson Wentz uh, to rebound and reclaim his career. And, and it starts this year. And I think part of that is just going to be in a, a fostering system uh, that's going to be conducive for him to get back into the top. Let's say, 15 16 of the position and it do, he doesn't have to to reclaim a lot of his value he doesn't have to get back you know he doesn't have to put up a, a QB 3 or 4 season and I don't think he does that but I think he can he can post a few top 18 seasons in a row here to get on the right track.
0: Yeah, I mean I definitely don't want to spoil any of Jordan's research but I know that you guys talk about that all the time and then, um it's something you've mentioned as well that you know if if you haven't put up a QB1 season yet um uh, by the time that you're in Baker Mayfield's age, like the chances of you doing it ever, are fairly low. So, um, we have another question coming in. Uh, I so I got specifically referenced in this. Uh, I have maintained to our our group that in my opinion, the the percent that the market believes that Miles Gaskin is going to get replaced. That there, there's a di- there's a disconnect between that percentage and the actual percentage that he gets replaced. So I have maintained that I think that the Miles Gaskin situation is potentially exploitable for the right price. But we do have a user asking uh, for you to put me in my place uh, in regards to that situation.
1: Uh, all right. So Miles Gaskin, and so you you would be purporting that it would be that he's going to be the. The wider, uh, sorry, the starting running back.
0: Not necessarily that he for sure is going to be, but just that the chance that he's going to be, that er, chance. No, is, I know that chance is better yeah. than what the market is giving it credit for. I think
1: the market like zero percent, yeah. or like close to it. It's like a foregone conclusion.
0: Exactly, the market is basically saying like he is going to get replaced, like flat out, and you're getting offers for basically handcuff prices for Miles Gaskin.
1: Okay. Uh, Well, Gaskin enters year three. So I'll just, I'll I'll say this prism that his, his top 12 hit rate at this point uh, from day three or around five through seven is, is 17%. So it's, it's dropped down from, you know, entering as a, as a rookie, but, but 17%. So he's, he's unlikely to get there. Um, And then I will say he had a promising season. Problem is Miami has a bunch of picks. So you have a lot of, and the other thing is, with Gaskin having minimal pedigree, it's not like he was a third-round pick. You'd have a lot more. That's why this James Robinson, Miles Gaskin, this this like looking over your shoulder thing never goes away. It never will. So even if he avoids the draft, I mean, you get a Leonard Fournette situation where you get some veteran that just comes and swoops in in August, September. Oh, suddenly available. Miami's interested, you know that, and that's it. You know Devonta Freeman lurking out there. You know that type of that type of addition late. Uh, and, and, and every single off season, you're always thinking about that. And so the big part for me is they have a ton of cap. No, they didn't really use it. Uh, they brought in Malcolm Brown, you know, quote unquote, notably. Um, but Gaskin was productive. Uh, so that is going to be one of the bigger points, but like James Robinson, definitely not out of the woods and, and having a lot of picks would be the big concerning part. And the other part would be, it's not going to take a ton of capital for that to make a move. So I, I think the whole holding Miles Gaskin part, if you have him, is maybe a little different of a discussion. Like, if you're saying no to trading him away for like two ten of a, of a of a one quarterback league, that's a little bit different of a discussion compared to saying like, uh, you know, I wouldn't buy him, you know, or or something like that. So so there's a different there's an existing league market versus would you draft him where he's going in startups? Uh, would you buy? Would you sell? I wouldn't be a buyer because I do think there's a lot of risk that said, and I don't have a lot of shares, but if I did and the price was a late second, I wouldn't be selling either because if they bring in one notable back, and that's the thing with guys like Mike Davis, for example, who people don't give a lot of a credence, like he's going to be Atlanta starter and things like that. Miles Gaskin would also qualify. Even if they bring in someone notable as a draft pick, uh, This this veteran, this incumbent can still be a, the starter to begin the year, give you quality starts at the outset. E Even if a wrecking ball running back comes in and takes the job, you still have probably the guy to most benefit if that rookie fumbles the ball or has an injury, isn't as good as people think, and they revert back to the veteran. So at a minimum, you have an injury away guy and a guy that you know can hang and produce. Um, So that's, so it comes down to price. I mean, if you told me Miles Gaskin is like a top, 15 pick valuation or top 16 or 17 in superflex, I think you got to sell on that all day, uh, based on the probabilities. And but if you're telling me in, in a one quarterback it's a, a late second, or if it's a third rounder in super flex, I, I think you hold, you know, and and I'm not saying I would buy, and that's a little different of a discussion, but you would definitely hold and I think it's proper to do that because at worst you have a proven, quote unquote, uh, injury away guy that is gonna be the number two. And there still is, like you mentioned, I mean, there's a chance that he skates through, they don't notably add somebody, and you get post-draft, and they're A, worth more, B, you want to keep them, because now you got a projected week one starter that you're pretty comfortable with.
0: Yeah, and I mean, uh, I, <laughs> the uh, the user that I have a bet with, uh, we literally bet two-thirds in a 1QB for value-wise. So, I mean, that's bet kind of... That is
1: two-thirds of what?
0: So, uh, we do... What are called uh, shoeys here? So basically, it's a it's a bet where you either have to take a shot out of a shoe if you're wrong, or a yeah. uh, or a beer. So basically, it's regional
1: thing, isn't it? A shoey. Are you from Wisconsin or Michigan? Uh, in the uh, UP.
0: I'm actually we're, I'm actually from Minnesota, but I think
1: I don't actually oh, okay. remember
0: the initial way that this first started. Uh, I'll, okay. I'm gonna call out uh, our user heard Val. of shoeys though. Yep, yeah. yep. So you have to we we do when we have to record it and. Essentially, what we said was, by uh, this May, our users picking a—they're uh, picking two players from the third, and then a year later, if they're combined worth more than Miles Gaskin, I have to take one reverse. So, but where I'm getting at this is, uh, like you said, two thirds is the price of a handcuff. You know what I mean? It, it's a very different conversation than talking about selling James Robinson, because selling James Robinson, you start talking about. Yeah, you're talking about a high second round pick, low first in super flex, right. maybe even better than that, where you're looking at Miles Gaskin and you're looking at two thirds. Discount Robinson. Right, like but heavily like thrift store Robinson.
1: Exactly. Yeah. He's a homeless version in terms of the market. So wait, so you have to do a you have to do a shoey and two Oh, you meant two thirds meaning that's the other side of the bet. Right. So yep. they get to pick any player with what? An ADP in the third?
0: Of a rookie draft. So okay. they'll they're of a rookie draft one Q B. It'll be You can
1: sharpshoot any two of those twelve in terms of ADP.
0: Uh yeah, I believe it was anyone lower than three oh three and three oh four.
1: Okay, okay. Okay. So right. Anyone it, they want. Yeah. See, I think yeah, the odds are probably on your favor. So more valuable in the marketplace? Yes. Or more valuable like producer. Okay. Yeah, I mean I I think I think the smart thing would be to take Gaskin there because you're not you're not getting the field. You're actually having to select two players. So that's the biggest part. I mean, I would take the field, certainly, but that's way too many. You know, even if that's through round four, you're talking 18 players or something like that. So, um, yeah. yeah, So, no, I think I think you're on the right track there because. I mean, what's your best case there? Like you're drafting, like last year, I mean, you could maybe get someone like Darrington Evans, for example, um, that that what are you hoping for? A backup running back, right? That maybe if you get the injury, which there's a decent chance that they get some cross section, now they become hyper productive and and uh, invaluable. So yeah, and just, this year, you're probably looking at wide receiver. So that's going to be a really tough Terry McLaurin type hole to shoot through uh, in that range of a rookie draft.
0: Exactly. It's just such a sharp shoot that, uh, that's where I'm talking about, you know, Gaskin potentially being exploitable if you already have him. Not necessarily. No, that's true. Even buying.
1: if there's only a 25, 30% chance that, say, Miami doesn't draft a guy in the first, say, four rounds, uh, that's going to be projected to maybe take his job sooner rather than later. Even if you're having that as a 25, 30% chance that he skates through, then I think you're on the right side of that bet. So whoever's going against you, get ready for that, we?
0: All right, Chad. So it's nine thirty. We still have some more questions. How are you feeling? Do you want to answer some more? Do should we call? Yeah, let's do the.
1: Well, I'm looking at this sheet you got. I want to do this rapid fire stuff about dogs and smoothies and all this kind of stuff. So if you want a couple more football questions, that's fine. But I definitely want to hit rapid fire a couple of those.
0: All right, perfect. We'll get if we're if you're down to it, let's go through all of it. If that's okay.
1: Okay. Rapid fire. I'm going to be less verbose because the, the running up on an hour and a half so far is on me.
0: <laughs> we we appreciate the verboseness though, as well. Um, I guess you, I know you played in a decent amount of Debbie leagues. Do you want to give a quick thought on like what it would take to be successful doing a zero Debbie strategy in a Debbie league?
1: Sure. Um, I would say that a zero Debbie strategy, I'm assuming that means that you would not, you would not dra- actually draft any Debbie. You would still have the picks. Um, I would say, obviously, you need to find the rebuilding teams. And you need to wait. First of all, you need to wait, just like rookie picks. Ideally, you're waiting all the way until your pick is on the clock, or at least your draft is going, unless you have the 101. And then you would trade all those picks away. Um, You would be looking for, again, productive profiles. You'd be looking at teams that are... In Debbie, there's a greater divide, if people don't know this, there's a greater divide between like who's contending and who is Debbie-centric, where you basically you have a real an even tougher time to contend because you don't even have NFL players. And then that is also the vehicle to improve for the future. Is It's not even like, oh, let me get rookie picks. Now you're getting Debbie players and or Debbie picks. So actually, the road to rebuilding through the vehicle is longer. So I would say uh, trading the picks away, you can absolutely get good hauls, uh, but you know, you're know, you looking at those older players, you can absolutely contend by trading all those away. You can do it every single year, but what I see mainly is a lot of people trade their high Debbie picks away uh, too early, just like rookie picks. Of so You don't know how high they're going to be, let that occur. What if you're not contending? Those picks turn even earlier, and if you did want to trade them, that is the time that they're going to be worth a lot more. It's when people start attaching players uh to the picks
0: that makes sense that makes sense um can you talk through i know that you said in the past that you do a strategic year one um how do you could you speak just a little bit on how you feel about um potentially quote unquote tanking year one
1: sure um it's not really tanking it's just having a reasonable expectation i would say for outcomes um i would say i've been a little less so like this Um, my roi typically is about even ish for year one so if i enter a league the the year you're most likely to beat me is the first year um, i have won titles in year one i've finished in the money i've had great returns uh sometimes um but i always feel like year one is the most difficult one to win in a dynasty league because invariably you're gonna have one, two, maybe three teams. Uh, maybe it's less so in 2021 than five years ago, but you can have some teams that are a little more redrafty, uh, teams that are a little more centric to, I want to try to win now, and that's fine. Uh, but they're also the teams, I think, most likely that within the first three or four years that you see an orphan situation and they realize their team is breaking down like the Berlin Wall. And uh, they just don't want to be around for, for, for that mess or they don't really know how to fix it per se. Um, but year one is the most difficult because you're going to have some dead red trying to win and they can be successful at that. They can trade away their first round picks to get additional you know top 50, top 75 players in the startup draft. It can be tough to beat that. And what, I, what we always say is if you can insulate yourself and extend your window and your runway to compete, you get there, you know, so if you get uh, free future picks, if you trade down and build your depth, uh, you know, you draft generally on the younger side, you can mix in some veterans, absolutely. But you start to look at an aggregate two, three, four year opening foray in the Dynasty League of saying, I want, you know, my, my jump from year one to year two is usually pronounced. Because if, if things don't go well, if I don't contend, I have a high first round pick of my own high in every round, plus the team that I was kind of projecting, you know, if you draft a few rookies, they're not usually the most productive guys out there. So you've got them coming into year two, for example, you've got a high first round pick, You probably acquired some additional rookie capital. So that's those are the most notable reasons why my year two and beyond is a lot more uh, productive and, and profitable than than year one. Uh, but I am. Def- I definitely don't go into any season saying I will not contend, and I'm actually going to make proactive moves so I don't. Uh, it's typically a, even if it's year one, I go into it. You go into the first four, five, six, seven weeks, and you say, let's see. You're always kind of assessing. We always t- kind of talk in season of assessing where you are, and there's different looks of like I'm two and four but I've had a couple injuries. I'm getting someone back. Like I, I you know, I got a couple of players that I think could be breaking out or benefit from injury. You got some reason for optimism. And then you could be sitting sometimes at three and four, four and four. And you're like, oh, this doesn't look great, but you're not going to throw in the towel. Cause you're right there fringe playoff, or maybe even in the playoffs at that point. Uh, so I think that mid season zone is always really great to assess your team. It's always great for trading of Who's in, who's out, who's looking to make trades for this year, who's looking to get picks. Uh, it's my favorite, my favorite sprint is that sort of middle four to six weeks of the fantasy season, because you've got a bunch of teams going in or thinking about their teams in different directions. And those are the best, best trading time for everybody uh, to to get what they want.
0: Absolutely. I think the, uh, those, those almost the dog days of the season, it's, it, it, it can be one of the best times to find value. Uh, So next question. Uh, Can you give us a um, someone who might not have done as well as we would have liked in 2020 uh, Mm -hmm. that is going to be a breakout and then maybe one breakout that you think might be a Fugazi or fake?
1: Ooh, Fugazi. Look at you. Phrase that pays. Um, All right. Someone that broke someone rephrase. Uh, So a 2020 that's going to break out.
0: Yeah. Someone that we haven't seen pop yet, but that you think you still have hope for.
1: Oh, that is a great question. Kind of have to go to the abacus here. I want to have a, a deeper <laughs> pull. You know, I really want to say Jalen uh, Jalen Regger, but I absolutely can't with my 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 thoughts of of Jalen Hurts and what I think is going to happen with the Eagles. Um, so I'm going to leave that one to its own accord. Um, let's see. I'm going to go. I think the answer has to be a running back here. This is the first one where you're like Chad, you need to hurry young. <laughs> Slightly, you can't research it this heavily. You know what? I'm gonna go. This is this is gonna be. I'm gonna go with AJ Dillon. I love it, and I'm gonna say this because everyone's on Aaron Jones. He goes back. I still wonder what Green Bay was doing, but they ran a two back system with Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams is gone, it's pretty much Jones and Dillon. And I'll say this you've got subsized Aaron Jones, and Again, I think he's a fantastic two-way weapon. Is he a traditional foundational running back? No. They have a guy on that depth chart that is. And this is explosive. I actually always get the tingles when I start talking like this. Just imagine, again, so now everyone's off A.J. Dillon a little bit. He was white hot, and then they signed Jones back, and now he's suddenly, you know, like people are, are running, running into the woods saying, I can't believe I drafted him. I can't believe, you know, you told us to draft him in the second round last year. Um, You know, now you're holding, you're holding, but you've got a big Willy Wonka golden ticket here that any misstep by Jones, any injury, even if there's not, I mean, I still think AJ Dillon could be a top 30 weekly play. If he's the main goal line back, you look at those two guys in that backfield and you tell me who's more likely to be the primary goal line back of an NFL offense. I think it's pretty obvious. That's one of the better offenses in the NFL. So, but if there were an injury, Mr. Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon can win your league and stop. So even if he's the backup, even if he is the absolute 35% to the 65% of Aaron Jones, which I still think is a bit rich there in that split that I still think you're you're waiting on one of the game changer backups, a la Tony Pollard, a la Alexander Madison. Uh, that these types that if they get the full fledged job and they're pretty much just standing there waiting, that that's why you bet bet on backup running backs and especially guys like this. So AJ Dillon, I think, can be flex viable even if Jones is healthy the entire year. But picture a scenario where some point during the year, Aaron Jones goes down. And he's had a decent amount of workload. He's 26 years old entering the season, and if AJ Dillon, we saw it for one game, one glimmering game. But imagine a four, six, eight-week run to end the fantasy season. You could be Jonathan Taylor-like, He'd be better than Jonathan Taylor, um, and and imagine getting that influx mid-season into your fantasy playoffs. Um, so, so that's gonna be my bet. Of like, it's a roller coaster ride. I understand that, but that's the type that you just stash on your taxi squad you have on your bench and everybody that comes knocking i'll give you a 22 second and some marginal player just keep saying no and you just have that guy right there and it may happen it may not but know that you have one of those tickets that could pay off big and in season that's the type of player that is like you can't get him out of your lineup because the perfect storm hit and all of a sudden he's one of those players that's making a massive difference that you have and your elite mates do not
0: Man, I I am a uh, AJ Dillon stand for sure. I think I can probably credit you and Jordan for turning. I read the M.
1: cue card you sent over yep. the notes. I read exactly what you sent me. To <laughs> to we waited an hour an hour and forty five minutes so that so that I could read that exact that exact billboard for the players you like.
0: That's exactly why you're here. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. and then do you have a uh, little quicker than the last one? Do you have one that uh, one breakout you think is a fugazi?
1: Um, in general, I, I think the wide receivers from just young wide receivers that everyone's going to be great um, is a little misguided. So I would say just be skeptical. Like for example, uh, Jerry Judy, you know, for quarterback questions and you've got Cortland Sutton coming back, you got a first round tight end KJ Hamler is underrated. And now you're going to say Judy is going to be some massive breakout. I know a lot of people are on him. Um, I'm not a big Deontay Johnson fan. I know he's already on a good track, but a lot of people are projecting even greater Um, if there's any other rookies. I would also say, Again, I, I like these guys, but when people start, C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins, people start projecting them as like top three, four, five dynasty guys. I, I, you got to have some pause. It's like the Cam Akers effect. They're good, but there's a heavy competition with really good players at the top of the dynasty wide receiver board. So I would just say, when the price gets too hot, be careful. Um, and there's probably going to be some oscillations to where even if you like them, you get some discounts and you don't quite have to pay that extreme premium right now.
0: Absolutely. Um, I know that you were into Michael Warren and James Robinson last year. Uh, one of them ended up being a little more successful, <laughs> but uh Slightly. Do you have a uh, do you have a few UDFA running backs that you're interested in right now or interested in right, uh, that you think might be UDFAs that you might be interested? In yeah.
1: Running? Yeah. So, yeah. So you're looking at guys that are probably projected like round five plus, you know, that, that they may very well go undrafted. And you know what? This is actually a good year for that because it's more of a day three UDFA class than a top 100 class. Let's be fair um uh, i would say some interesting profiles the one that i have my eye on and i i swear i haven't heard him discussed one time in four months i'm not on twitter every single day doing keyword searches but stevie scott out of indiana uh, he's really young productive rushing and receiving 225 pounds yes he ran 466 uh but again i think there's something there uh, so he's one that could stick you want two-way producers that have enough size, like James Robinson, like Michael Warren, like these types that can carve a role. Uh, Deion Jackson out of Duke is another one. Both of them, I think, are highly likely to be UDFAs. Maybe Jackson slips into around six seven, something like that. Um, I'll give uh, I'll give three others. We've got Nate McCrary out of Saginaw Valley. We've got Jaquan Hardy out of Tiffin, and then Chris Evans, who's actually the biggest name of these guys, um, out of Michigan. Who again, they're all big. Uh, the the commonalities are big guys that can move move decently and can catch that's a profile of a potential lead back and sort of the search for the James Robinson if you will Um, I actually do an article like that every year I used to do one on searching for the next Wes Welker uh, looking for commonalities um, things like that Uh, but all of these running backs qualify uh, in terms of you don't want to Gravitate towards a an undrafted guy that's 190 pounds. You don't want a guy that has zero production. You know, you don't want to draft a guy that you know is small and he didn't work out well. So all these kind of factors. I mean, it sounds like oh well, obviously Chad. Well, there's not many that qualify that even get over the thresholds I just said. You know, for. Uh, late day three are undrafted types. So you really do have to be a little discerning. And usually in a typical class, you mentioned a couple from last year, there's usually somewhere between two and four or five guys that are sort of on that. If you draft more than say four rounds in your rookie draft, these are the types of guys that you get to those later rounds and consider.
0: Yeah, I think there's uh, one more I'd like to get your opinion on. Um, I do a decent amount of charting and was looking at um, basically looking for, uh, you know, if you couldn't quite get to a full size, maybe highly athletic midsize running backs who might go later. And a name that kept popping up for me was Elijah Mitchell. And I was curious to get your opinion on him in this question.
1: Yeah. um, I I excluded him from conversation just because I thought he was going to, I think he'll probably go around five ish of the NFL draft. So that might, you know, preclude him from qualifying in this conversation. The one thing that got me for Elijah Mitchell and actually his, uh, his running mate there at uh, Louisiana Lafayette, uh, Trey Ragus, was the same way. Both of them were listed. Like, I think Elijah Mitchell was like 215 or so uh, listed by the team. And then Ragus was like 230. And they both weighed in very low. So I don't know if that was a team-specific thing. But so Elijah Mitchell at 201 pounds was kind of a buzzkill. But, yeah, he ran 438. He's uh two-way, you know, average-ish production. So he's certainly on the radar Um, I think you might be, I'm not going to say priced out. I mean, he's probably still going to be like a late third round rookie pick, even in a league where, you know, if you're kind of eyeing him, you know, and kind of saying he's one of my guys in that range, that's probably where you'd look. So it's not that he's going to be expensive, uh, but I was, you know, he'll probably end up being a fourth round pick. Um, I was looking more at, you know, outside the top 40, 45 or or so for those other guys. And I I do think Elijah Mitchell will be a little more expensive, uh, but he certainly qualifies as well.
0: Yeah, it's a little too expensive for this conversation. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, moving into the rapid fire. I know you were, you said you had mentioned you were very interested in these. Uh, yes. You mentioned being a dog lover. Uh, what Do you have a dog and what kind of, or, yeah. and if so, could you tell us yeah. a little bit about him?
1: yeah sure um have a have a dog have, have have always really had dogs in my life growing up with a couple seemingly at all times uh revolving with you know you'd have an older one a middle-aged one the older one would uh pass on you'd get a younger one and so I, i've always been a a dog fan um i was actually a uh, little known fact i was a dog walker uh, as one of my side hustles um that's when i was in the army i was also doing fantasy stuff um and in my energetic uh, 20s and, and early 30s. Um, and, and so again, I just, I love hanging out with them. I would go to a dog park and they would, you know, it, it would be almost a interesting situation where they go, oh, which dog is yours? Oh, I don't have one. I just love playing with all the dogs that are here. Um, I'm the type that'll go and throw dogs for them for days and all that kind of stuff. So always been uh, gravitating towards those, uh, you know, doing dog sitting and, and walking. Um, we have a, a dog right now. He's, we have some restrictions with a, with a condo. So he's got to be in that 15, 20 pound range. Uh, but yeah, he's like a Maltese, uh, Shih Tzu, uh, you know, loves playing around. And, and, and again, just when you're out and you're out and it's not stormy and, and, uh, rainy or snowy, um, and it's actually nice weather and you're walking a dog. I don't know. It's a pretty good day for me. Um, building that, building that relationship and being that pack leader. So uh, I've always gravitated that way. And I would definitely be the type that would you know, volunteer at shelters, you know, if I can, if I can make that work in the future and uh, all types of things to kind of help the canine community.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. There's a, uh, a restaurant that me and my friends really enjoy here that is literally a restaurant, but also a, an indoor dog park. So it's.
1: Yeah, oh, I've seen those before. There was one in uh, California we went to where it's like you bring them and it's almost like a, maybe a beer garden type of thing yep. and uh, yep. type of stuff. Oh yeah. so great.
0: Those are the best. All right. Uh, How did your journey into smoothie fandom, or how did your journey into smoothie fandom begin?
1: Um, so it it started with juicing a little bit uh, years ago. I've always liked fruit, um, but now I've I'm on this track, and people think you know if we had video on and stuff. I mean, a lot of people make fun of me. I get these. I basically keep it in the blender pitcher, which is like sixty five to sixty five ounces. Um, I actually have, and so you can you cannot have your mouth open too long. I have I have uh, two of those basically as my breakfast. Oh, wow. um, over the course of a yeah, uh, so I'm I'm already up to like you know 100 and something ounces, and that's you know four bananas, that's a couple of pieces of citrus, if it's grapefruit or oranges, a bunch of frozen fruit, um, and put it together. Um, uh, But that is like I used to do just straight juicing, but now you know if physical demands and if you're exercising and stuff, kind of need the caloric uh, aspect as well. So having the whole fruit and not just the juice has been a big part. But I'm very uh, pro smoothie. Uh, Mrs. UTH, as I call her, um, is as well, um, where just a lot of energy and uh, also fruit sugar processes for your body differently than like refined sugar and stuff. So it's not really a, um, it's not really an issue, you know, with like blood testing and and all that kind of stuff of, you know, something that's negative for your body. Um, So again, it's had really good results for me and just being pretty much high fruit and only fruit until like, you know, mid afternoon where I, you know, have some regular food and stuff like that for, for other meals. But, uh, but yeah, the, the smoothie aspect has been really easy for me because not many people would sit there and eat a couple oranges and four bananas for breakfast. Uh, but, uh, but you certainly can enjoy it and drink it.
0: I'm surprised that you're even hungry for lunch at that point with almost 120 ounces.
1: That is true. You know, it almost sounds like the Slim Fast thing where it's like, oh, shake for breakfast, shake for lunch, and then a reasonable dinner. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like that would almost be the commercial. Uh, But, yeah, you know, it's funny. Each smoothie takes on its own flavor where it's like if you go to the – go to the uh you know costco or you know the big box site uh big box stores where it's like oh well the uh the tropical fruit uh frozen stuff is the better deal or it's like triple berry or whatever so you're always kind of changing up oh oranges versus grapefruits or whatever so you always have kind of a different it's not like you have the same exact smoothie every day there's some variety every few days with uh with whatever the new
0: stock is absolutely um and then let's see is there uh is there a notable player that you were in on super early like you found them as a like a recruit or maybe that was Mm -hmm. sometime early in Debbie that you're like you're proud of that you found them
1: oh man that's a great question super early Debbie player um I would say I was really early on Jonathan Taylor um I think it was after his freshman year and that's not I mean some you know being early in Debbie a lot of times means you have to have them you know uh you have to have them eye up as an incoming freshman um, but again, I, I react strongly to the the prototypical profiles. I'm pretty aggressive with that. Um, I will also say that um, Antonio Gibson like, is one of my guys. I, well, okay, uh, Alvin Kamara, like pre-going to the NFL, I was way in on him. Uh, but I'm not going to take full credit um, on that because we already had plenty of data points. I will say, talk about no data points. Antonio Gibson last year was my, my guy. Um, coming out of Memphis, I—I I mean, I interviewed him at the Senior Bowl, and you know he had some other backs there. It was uh, Daryl Henderson and Tony Pollard, for example. They had Antonio Gibson out there running routes, playing wide receiver, and there was still in January. I remember we kind of we went to Mobile and we held our breath because we didn't know if Antonio Gibson, like uh, Demetric Felton this year out of UCLA, was was one where you just positional ambiguity and so is he going to be is he going to play wide receiver this week running back and what's the designation in the nfl and frankly he got drafted at 66 overall and even washington after the draft you still had a little bit of pause of like are they going to play him as a hybrid player on offense and so i would say perfect storm happened, you know, where Darius Geis wasn't a factor, Adrian Peterson, not a factor Th- that depth chart opened wide up, you know, for, for Gibson, who knows how it works out. If everyone is productive and, and, you know, nice off the field and all this stuff that it worked, you know, that that Gibson stays buried or how that works out. But I always saw a David Johnson like player in terms of prototypical size athletic receiving centric can certainly do that playing wide receiver as much as he did in college Uh, so he's one that again i was just kind of all in on him just coming out of memphis or late on late in his career that i know he can play running back now did i expect this much instantaneous uh, production and value and 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 equity of that that opinion, absolutely not. I mean, again, but it's sort of like your Miles Gaskin thing. Like within the range of outcomes, or what's the percentage probabilities here of certain outcomes? Like I had again top ten running back within his his uh, calculus there, and again, it's worked out very well. We'll see where he's on, but he's on a very strong track uh, going forward. So he's one that just of the last class or two that I remember being full on committed to but who knows again we play this situation out 10 times maybe there's one or two of the 10 where he goes to a different team they try lynn bowden or whatever you know he's kind of stuck between positions and you know maybe he plays a little wide receiver maybe he gets 46 carries and and 25 receptions and we don't really care about him uh so there's there's a, plenty of iterations i would say this is the best iteration of you're a primary running back and yet you're big you're athletic You can catch the ball well, and now you're a projected second year as well as first year uh, starting running back.
0: Yeah, I remember the first time hearing about him was I think actually from you. I don't remember what show it was on, but yeah, I I remember you being in on him very early. So uh, I'm going to give you some time to uh, pimp all of anything that you want to talk about, but I do have one, uh, like a a, a meme question to ask you from one of our users. Have you ever had an (laughs) – have you ever had a moment where you may have trusted a fart or have you ever had a moment where it may have actually, did you accidentally poop your pants? Yep,
1: That's actually happened. Um, <laughs> and well, actually the funnier part of the story, it's two separate stories, but, but yes, I've done that. Um, and man, it's, it's really bad when it happened. Like the aftermath, I don't think if you've never done it or never even like had the inkling that it's occurred or whatever. Like, it is disarming because you're like an adult with a diaper. Like, it's just like, no. but you don't have a diaper. And it's like, depending on your situation. So that did occur. I would actually, th- I actually think the funnier one is when I it in public. Oh so, boy. And, and I would say, and I would say public is a relative term, but like you're out in society is what I would say. I, I still don't think to this day, anyone saw me. But so I was out dog walking and if you if you dog walk in high rises or any high rise that so the time from being on the street and walking around the neighborhood or whatever the environment is to actually if you were gonna go, you know, drop the dog off, now you're inside and whether that's you know a, a public restroom or their restroom or whatever, you now have options. But the time from you're out with the dog to actually getting to that environment could be like five minutes there's an elevator situation. Maybe you have to get buzzed in all these types of things. That was not happening on this said day. (laughs) The one time this was not happening. And so I had to, I mean, this was like, and this all happened in a matter of 60 seconds of like, you got to develop a plan. You have to have a quick and, and try to eliminate the worst option and everything else is in play. What's the worst option? And you say, like you said, you, uh, you you mess up your pants and now it's like you're walking around in it. And I still have other dog walks to go. I'm going to get in my car like this. I don't have a change of pants. So you can't have that. That is option zero of a one to 10 scale. So you can't do that. So I was looking around. Luckily, there were some bushes and I was able to finagle, like literally go into a trash can, finding something paper product. And I, I literally like put my foot on the leash. The dog was like outside the bushes. It was inside the bushes, <laughs> crouching. And, and and so then, again, you clean up the best you can. And you kind of apologize to the, the, the overlooking lords. And you're just like, uh, uh, you kind of say to yourself, I'll come back tomorrow and clean this up or whatever. And I think I might have, you know, after I dropped the dog <laughs> off, I would, you know, and I was able to, you know, obviously come back in a better state. I, I think I actually used some of the dog <laughs> bags. You know, for, for my lot own lot. accord there. Yeah. So, so, I mean, but that was one where it, I'll call it a very good success. Now, I will say this is not like a camping situation. I mean, you can get in camping settings and it's like, that's considered norm. You know, if you're right. hiking and you're going on a two week trip or whatever, I mean, that's sort of part of the game. But, uh, but, but this one was urban. <laughs> this was urban. Thank goodness it was like in a generally wooded and kind of nice area, if you will. It wasn't just like, all concrete. I mean, if it was like straight downtown, that would have been
0: oh rough. There, I'm there sure. are
1: no, there are no answers in in concrete city on how to make that work. I mean, that is just, I don't know. I don't know what you do in that setting. Maybe you put, maybe you put a shopping bag inside. Uh, oh. I don't know, but or you just try to hustle. Um, I don't know, or maybe you try to carry the dog into a place where the public. I don't. So right. just talking this out it worked out because it was embarrassing. I remember it was, it was a reasonably hot day too. Like, so you start sweating, like nothing about it was good, but the outcome of you didn't actually mess, mess yourself from the inside out. And now you got to, the worst part is, well, now you have how much time of doing other things until you can truly fix it. Uh, so yeah, worst case scenario. And yeah, there's someone that has a, a meme or a gif out there that is like it's so perfect uh because because we made one reference to that years ago um and I think I told some semblance of this story or or I think I admitted to Tim Torch that I had I had done this and it's just like you get thrown back a little bit. You're like what really? No do tell.
0: So,
1: <laughs> um <laughs> that's pretty apropos for finishing
0: on that. Chad, you were wonderful. I appreciate you having having you on. Tell the uh tell the fine folks more about where they can find you talk a little maybe a little bit more about your stuff and and that'll be about where we end
1: sure well thanks for having me uh a ton of fun uh, i kind of talked like i was an old man trying to figure out this discord thing <laughs> I, I popped on earlier this week and answered some questions in the in the dynasty threads just to, to kind of get a feel for things and i will say i will be back uh you know this is something that I was able to experiment with beyond this AMA Um, and again, crazy kids. And I know, I know discord, I think started as sort of a a platform of communication for, you know, video games, but now it's expanding to just many other uses and and functions, Uh, but, but very cool. I really love the, the active environment of, of communication. So we'll definitely be on here. Um, as an entity uh, going forward. And if you're still around, again, you've been hearing me espouse my opinions for a couple hours now. I would say if you want more of me, there, of course, are the weekly shows, uh, Dynasty shows for football guys and Under the Helmet, which are available on all of your podcasting platforms. Uh, The Football Guys show is actually under the Audible platform, so you can just find it under that feed, which has a number of other good publications. Uh, But if you want to hear more, if you've been intrigued by things like the projection model, my valuation system, uh, like you said, like I said, transparency of the moves I'm making, uh, the why, a lot of the why and the profiling behind the players that are buys and sells, and observing the market and what should we, the collective we of UTH, be doing. Uh, sign up as a UTH general manager subscriber. You're going to get over 250 premium shows on any podcasting platform you want. In addition to that weekly show which goes out to everybody, but again, you're going to get the good stuff. You're going to get the, the the deep analysis, the specified. Uh, Going over drafts, you're going to have a a very targeted uh, list of of rookie draft, buy, sell, uh, target tiers, all that kind of stuff going through draft season. We do waiver wire stuff, everything you need in season as well with specified these little micro zones of two, three, four day windows of, of, of trading and marketplaces. Like I mentioned with Matt Jones probably an hour ago. Um, but again, you try it out, you money back guarantee. And what I always say is over the years, I think I've maybe had five or six, uh, refund requests. I mean, it really is such a low, low number that uh, you are going to get my full attention. So when you email UTH, admin at UTH.com, if you want to ask some specific questions about the site or shows or whatever, uh, it comes to me. I don't have, it's not outsourced. It doesn't go to someone that I barely know. How would they answer my email? I still don't have answers to that. But, uh, but it comes straight to me. Uh, I manage it like a hardware store. Uh, basically, 99% of the content on UTH is straight from, my typing or, or my mouth. So uh, just know that, that you're investing in a very uh, specified uh, source of information, which some sites, again, they have so many opinions out there. It kind of all gets averaged together with rankings and thoughts. And you see a lot of pro and con for a number of different things, and it can maybe lead to confusion. Uh, you're not really going to have that with UTH. It's a very uh, specified course of action and approach there so uthdynasty.com as i mentioned uh and and pretty much everything a one-stop shop for what you're going to need to have your best year and years uh going forward and like i said any questions you have is admin at uthdynasty.com via email
0: all right thank you guys and that will be all for this ama thank you very much for joining us chad